This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. And then your master gunsmith is Marine veteran Steve Miller. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682 0363 and you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com that's www.hrhcombatarms.com All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. I got some special guests with me today. I brought back Officer Brandy. Hello. Brandy Camper. Um, I don't know if I can truthfully call her Officer Brandy anymore. I think now I have to call her um, like R. Officer Brandy. Oh, I get a stipulation. You get a stipulation on your name. So, um, because she's a reserve officer and they're beneath regular officers. Oh, you know, I'm not the only reserve officer. Well, you just spoke for the whole group. All of them. I just, yeah, I just, you know, it's like being in the army. (laughs) I mean, says the chair force. (laughs) So, and on top of that, I've got the whole purpose of this show. Um, Most people know that. It's easy for me to get cops. I'm a cop. I have cops on the other side all the time. I get a couple FD guys now. I had an arsonist, uh, arson investigator, not an arsonist. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, he really divulged everything. It was great. As soon as he walked out, we arrested him. It was great. No. um, And then, uh, you know, I've had some prosecutors, had a mayor. I had a lot of the criminal justice side. Um, But the point of the show is to bridge gaps and try to get other people from both sides of the house, right? So, uh I've reached out quite a bit. I've had a few people um, that are not police um, come on the show. My last guy was a, he's a Jeet Kune Do black belt, like Bruce Lee's art. Oh, you know what I mean? Uh, He's like 64 years old, retired vet, veterinarian. He was a veterinarian for 49 years. Um, He doesn't like round numbers, apparently. I would have went for 50. And uh, so I had him on. And then... uh, I've just been trying to branch out, trying to get people from all walks of life that have something to say on trying to bring us closer together. And then you told me about a guy named Aaron Dyson. So that's my guest today. I got Aaron, Aaron Dyson. I said that correctly. Yes. Right. Okay. So Aaron, um, I will just give you the, if you want to stay tuned for the show, it's going to be a great story. He was wrongly convicted. Uh, His conviction was overturned. He was in jail or prison for 24 years. So that's just to give you the quick side of this. So if you're going to listen to this story, this is a uh, one to listen to. I want to get his perspective on, um, you know, the, the usual first, I want to talk about where he's grown up, you know, where he lives, all that stuff. Then the story that got him put in prison and then how that <laughs> became overturned. And then I want to get his perspective on the criminal justice system itself. Where did we fuck up? Where did we do well? Um, what's your thoughts on police? You know, what's your thoughts on the court system? What's your thought on the prison system? You know, all those things. So it's going to be, it's going to be a long one. I think, I think it's going to be worth it though. Um, Aaron brought me some TX. So any other guests that I have on now, you have standards <laughs> to live up to. Uh, he did good. He did really good. And he brought Brandy some uh, menage a trois. 
love it. <laughs> wine. So that's pretty cool. Let's get this out of the shot, though. Oh, is it in there? I don't know. I just okay. wanted to be able to see your beautiful face. Mm. You're trying to steal my stuff? Right. It'll probably, you'll forget it. It'll stay there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Aaron, uh, I want to get this show about you as quick as we can. So tell me, where did you grow up? Where are you from? What's your what's your story up until prison? So I was born uh, in, 19, in 1979 in Fort Worth. Uh, I grew up right off of uh, 121 Airport Freeway. And uh, that's where I spent my first about 16 and a half years of my life right there. It was a street called Hickory. And um, I went to uh, Burver Elementary School, uh, Halton Middle School. And then I went to Halton High School for a very short period of time before I ended up going to prison. So you went in at 16? No, 17. You were 17 years old. Yeah. So obviously tried as an adult. Yes. Okay. So um, prior to to that happening, what was your, I know none of us really know what we want to do at 16, 17, but did you have any idea where you were going to go? Well, my dream was definitely joining the military, and um, I didn't want to just join the military. I wanted to be some some form of special forces. You know, I wanted to either get into the Navy SEALs or Delta Force or, you know, uh, the Marines uh, uh, Force Recon. I, I wanted to get in something that was, you know, some uh, special op type stuff. Yeah. That's what I, really what I wanted to do. But, you know, of course, you know, life took a turn when uh, my friend was shot to death. And uh, everything just turned upside down. I gotcha. Um, uh, I did the military route. Brandy tried to. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, ah. I, I was SF, security forces. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, what's he going to say it? Yeah. I love messing with people. Like, yeah, I was SF. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, man, security forces is a hard knock life. You don't even know. There's a lot of flight line you got to protect. Oh, my God. <laughs> You got to wave them in at the gate. Uh-huh. Salute. <laughs> um, yeah, security force. I was a cop in the Air Force. But, um, okay, so let's get into the story. So you you have a friend got in got into it? What? what? I, I don't even know how to start it, so you tell me how to start it. Okay, so uh, Omar, he was a dear friend of mine named Omar Alvarado. Uh, I've been known him since we were, I guess, first grade. And uh, I was real, real close to him, loved him. You know, he was a good dude. And... Um, well, one night, him and a friend of mine named Salvador, they went out to this house in Everman, and um, they were over there with some uh, couple of girls. And um, so this guy shows up, and he's he's high on methamphetamines. And uh, I guess that was his ex-girlfriend. He was trying to get her back, and Salvador was actually talking to her. And so when he tried to, you know, approach Salvador, I guess trying to fight him or whatever, you know, Salvador, he was a lot smaller than this guy. And so Omar got in the way and said, hey, man, you know, if you're looking to fight somebody, he said, I'll fight you. You know, they were close to the same height, you know, 5'10", 5'11". Everybody the same age? Yeah, uh, he was 19, and uh, Omar had just turned 17, so he was a couple years older. Okay. And um, so uh, some words were exchanged, and uh, the guy got in his car and he left, and he came back about five minutes later with a three eighty. And when he got out, he started going back towards uh, Salvador again, and Omar got in the way, and... Um, you know, I wasn't there, but I mean, just the stories that both the girls had told me and Salvador told me, um, Omar got in front of him again and said, Hey man, I told you, you, know, you look for somebody to fight, I'll fight you. And, uh, so he pulled out the 380 and showed it to Omar and Omar just, you know, looked at him and said that Omar looked back at Salvador and then he looked back at the guy and he said, man, I just can't just move out the way. 
you know, you want him, you got to go through me. Yeah. And so he did. I mean, he shot him four times in the face. And um, so Omar collapsed right there. The first shot that hit him, um, I believe it hit him right here, and it came out right here, and he, he would have lived through that. You know, if the ambulance would have got there quick enough, he would have lived through it. He would have bled a lot, but um, it took all of his teeth out, you know, the, the round did. And uh, he started trying to get back up. It knocked him unconscious, but he immediately woke back up and started trying to get back up. Yeah. And he was hollering. He, you know, nobody understood what he was saying. Um, some people said, a couple of them said it sounded like he was saying no. And uh, so the guy turned back around. Like I said, he's high on speed. He just shot, you know, Omar point blank. And um, he sees Omar getting back up. So he walks back over there and he shoots him three more times in the head. And obviously, you know, it, it killed him. And um, his gun jammed. or uh, I imagine he would have shot some more rounds, but his gun jammed. And that's when Salvador tried to charge him and tried to attack him. And he took off running and got in his car and he left. But that, that, that's how the, the story originated, you know, from my, my imprisonment. Okay. So from there, what what caused you to be arrested and charged and all of that? <clears throat> okay, so uh, it was May 27th, um, 1997. Um, Joe Cruz... That, that was his name, and he supports me now. You know, he's 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 an advocate, you know, for my freedom and all that stuff. So he uh he had a court hearing and um uh, I didn't know what the court court hearing was about. I didn't understand what they were saying, but they just asked me to come there and support his family. And so I was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm coming. So Joe Cruz is the suspect. Yes, Joe Cruz is the one that, that okay. murdered murdered Omar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh I show up at the court and I was I was late. And uh, when I park and I get up to the courthouse, I'm about to walk in and Omar's family's coming out. You know, his mom's crying, his little sister's crying. You know, you tell his dad is is upset. His uncles are upset. You know, everybody's upset, man. I mean, he was a good dude, man. Everybody loved him. He was a great guy. And um, so I hugged them and I told them, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't able to make it. And they were like, no, you're here. This is a thought that counts. And so I talked to him for a few minutes and had I talked to him, for 60 more seconds, I wouldn't have saw him. You know, if I would have got held up at a red light for 60 more seconds, I wouldn't have saw him. And uh, so I get back in my car, and I come around, and as I'm coming down uh, Belknap, as Belknap and Henderson, you got that, back then I think it was an Exxon or something sitting in that corner. And um, anyway, when I'm coming down that street, I see him walk out the other side of the courthouse. Jose? or um, uh, Joe Cruz. Joe Cruz. Yeah, and so when I see him come out, Man, I just immediately just went like tunnel vision. I wasn't thinking about, you know, it was 12 noon, broad daylight, and the two busiest streets in downtown Fort Worth. I yeah. just turned 17. Uh, my grief was overwhelming. You know, I couldn't sleep. Uh, you know, I, I love the dude. He was a great he was a great guy, man. Yeah. And um, so when I seen him, uh, I just reacted, you know, um, I did have a, I had a 12 gauge in my, in my trunk. And, um, so I, I, I be honest with you, man, it's just like, everything's kind of murky. Like I, I could look back and I can remember it. Yeah. But it's like, I, it's like I was standing on the outside watching something unfold. And, um, I think I just let my, uh, my ignorance, you know, my grief, my anger, just the rage that I felt for what he did. You know, he took, he took my friend's life. Yeah. And so uh, I stopped my car right there on Belknap and Henderson, and I got out and I chased him down and I shot him, and um, I left him right there in that parking lot. 
And so uh, my original charge was murder. When they arrested me later on that day, they read my Miranda rights and they said, you're under arrest for murder. Because they said that he had like a, a 3% chance of surviving. And uh, that's why it shows murder charges when they run my plates. Right. You know, and it shouldn't be there because, you know, he didn't die. Right. Um, so uh, I guess it was some hours later when they figured out that, you know, he, there was a strong possibility that he would pull through. Um, they, um, I guess they got rid of that charge and they charged me with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next thing I know, they came with uh, organized crime charges. And I didn't, I didn't understand what that meant. You know, I was, uh, when I went to prison and they did an uh, educational awareness test on me, I had a sixth grade educa- education. You know, I, I had learning disabilities my entire life. Not to mention your brain's not even fully developed at 16, yeah. 17 yeah. years old. It doesn't yeah. stop developing until you're about 25. Yeah. So minimal life experience and, yeah. you know, teenage hormones, all that stuff. Yeah. So I get that. Yeah. I actually... I've done some extensive research on that about the prefrontal lobe, the, you know, prefrontal cortex and just uh, um, the developmental stages of yeah. a human being and stuff. You know, I've done a lot of research myself on that. And I mean, that's, that's it's it's real. You know, it's, it's real. Yeah. And, you know, had I been uh, more mature, you know, I wouldn't have done nothing like that. Right. You know? um, I mean, it happened, you know, and I was 17. I was woefully ignorant as a kid. Yeah. And, um, so they charged me, and um, I sat in jail for a while, and then I posted a bond. Okay. So um, so you get charged with aggravated assault, deadly weapon. Um, were you, at the time, and this is just the cop side of me, were you gang-affiliated? Were you, had you been in the system at all? No. Nothing prior to that? No. So you got no record, and your, your friends, none of them guys were gang-related no. or anything like that? I had one friend that I grew up with. I've been known since we were about first grade. No, yeah. probably about third grade. And uh, he he moved from my neighborhood to Diamond Hill, which is about a 15-minute drive from where I grew up at. And when his mom <clears throat> and his brother, when they moved out there, he got kind of tied up in, in a street gang out there. And uh, I didn't aban- abandon my friendship with him because, you know, he was, he was still my friend. Yeah. And so occasionally I would go around him and he would come around. He would still come back over there and see us. And so he was the only one that I knew that was affiliated. And, um, but just cause he was affiliated doesn't mean, doesn't yeah. mean that I was affiliated Correct. or anybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, so in that, obviously what happens after you shoot, you go back to your car and you get out of there. Like yeah. what's going through your mind when, when the adrenaline calms, calms down. Um, I really didn't, I, I think that my mind just, it, it wasn't, you know, like I said, I had learning disabilities and I really wasn't even thinking about it. And then it took several hours. And then, uh, I went out, uh, a couple of my friends that called me, they were like, Hey man, come over here. We want to see you. So I went over to their house and, uh, they said, man, we want to show you something. And I was like, what's up? And, uh, so they turned on the TV and they recorded it and it was, uh, the news and it showed my picture and everything. They were like, you know, you know, what'd you do, man? You know, and I'm just like, that's really when it hit me. You yeah. know, I, I realized that, hey, man, I I made a life-altering, horrible decision. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was, you know, once again, it was out of ignorance and anger and, and hurt. Yeah. You know. So what I'm, 
What was the, so you go to, after that, you go to the trial and everything, right? Yes. What, did they add any charges? Was there? So they, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly when the organized, tri- organized crime uh, charge came, came about, but the attorney I had at the time, he was like, man, don't worry about that. You know, you're not a gang member and it takes three or more people to be convicted of that charge. And, and I believe that he was woefully ignorant about that charge. Yeah. And, um. So uh, he just told me, don't worry about it. So I really wasn't worried about it. He said, I'm going to get that charge thrown out. And, uh, you know, obviously I was guilty of aggravated solid deadly weapon because I did shoot him. And I never, I've never de- denied culpability for that. Yeah. Never. You know, when they arrested me and they asked me, you know, if I did it, I said, yes, I did it. I was a shooter. You know, and, um, but uh, I don't know how the organized crime charge came about, but they brought it against me and then they used false testimony to help convict me. So they got testimony from somebody that wasn't involved or? Okay. So, uh, the guy that was with me that day, he was in the car with me when I went and saw up to the, the court, Yeah, up to the court. Okay. And, uh, so he, he came with me and, um, so they ended up arresting both of us that, that evening. How did they find you? Um, so what they did is, um, to my understanding, what they talked about in my trial, I believe in my trial, they're talking about it. They, they, uh, they first thing they said is, okay, well, what is Joe Cruz doing in downtown? Oh, we had a court hearing. What was it behind a murder? Who did he murder? You know, and then they just, just did their, you know, their, their, their book work. And they said, okay, well, he murdered Omar. Well, where was Omar from? And do we know, do, do we know any known associates with him? Any friends of his? Yeah. And so, uh, they were able to pull up some pictures. And, uh, so when they pulled up the pictures, um, his grandmother and I think one of the other eyewitness, both of them pointed at me and said, yeah, he was there. He was the shooter, and that guy right there was there, too. And so that's how they were able to uh, pinpoint who, who actually did the crime. Okay. Um, what did your f- friend say, like, when this all was happening? Uh, I could tell he was visibly terrified. You like, know, he, what the fuck did you yeah, just do type yeah, thing? Yeah, he, he, was, he was shaking. Yeah. And uh, when, we, when we got in the car and we went to drive off, he was just, his nerves were shot. I mean, yeah. he was steadily just moving around. He was just wiping on his face. And, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was nervous. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't his fault. You know, he was just there. And, and so he's another teenager too, right? Yeah. Like he, he was actually 16. 16. Yeah. He was 16. Okay. And, uh, he's probably about six months younger than me. And so, uh, when they arrested both of us, I did the right thing. You know, I told the detective, you know, I did it. I'm the one that shot him. Uh, the other guy, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't know what was going to happen. Hell, I mean, really, I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, it just happened, you know. And, and I said, man, I said, uh, he didn't do anything wrong. I said, he even tried to stop me because you know, he grabbed me, like, man, you know, what are you doing, you know? And and uh, but my my rage was just, yeah, you know. And uh, so I did the right thing, and I got him out of trouble. You know, they took took the charges off of him. Okay. Let him out and everything. Was well, that was that a nip before your court date and all yeah, that? Yeah. So they let him off and they still charge you for EOC. Yeah. When you don't have, you need three or more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. So the other question I have is the shotgun. Like, yeah. did you always have it in your car? No. Nah, uh, after after Omar got murdered, we started getting threats. Oh, yeah. You know, they were, they, I don't even know how they got our, got our numbers, I guess from them girls or something, but we started getting threats. And uh, 
just being a dumbass team. Yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I should have never had it. Yeah. I should have never had it. Um, but I did. And that was, that was a huge mistake because it resulted in me using it, you know, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was, it was because of threats. So I was just trying to protect myself. Yeah. And, um, that was actually, I think that was the only time I ever took it out of the trunk. You know, I just, I put it in the trunk and it, it was sitting there and, you know, and, right. and it just happened. I mean, like I just, when I saw him, I, I stopped and I popped the trunk and it's like, I was in overdrive, like my rage. Yeah. And just, yeah. It was. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's a loved one that is executed. Yeah. I mean, for that's basically what happened. He got executed. Yeah. So, um, I can't put myself in your shoes. I don't think anybody can. Um, I, I can say that I f- putting like myself in that frame of mind with any family member or friend, like I, I get it. Yeah. I just, I can't say At that, that age too. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, oh, the, the, yeah. I mean, I remember being that age that, you know, getting in a fight at school over something so dumb, but at yeah. the time, like that was the most serious thing in my life, you know, yeah. um, not demeaning what <clears throat> yours is. That's obviously I'm, I'm talking school drama, not, yeah. not life or death. Um, so yeah, but it just goes to show like at that age, like that's what you should be dealing with. Not this right. level of, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So they drop your buddy's charges. Yes. All that's done. There's no other party. No. It's just you. They charge you with the aggravated assault deadly weapon, yeah. which you cop to. Yes. And then they charge you with EOC and was there anything else, which is engaging no. in organized crime. Yeah, no. Just those two. Just those two. And that engaging in organized crime is where the big chunk of the sentence comes from. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's actually what I was convicted of. They convicted me of engaging organized crime and sentenced me to 50 years. That's 50 years? 50 years, 17-year-old kid. On EOC. Yeah. So you didn't even get charged with the... Well, the uh, assault deadly weapon, yeah, the, the assault deadly weapon, because it was a second degree felony and the EOC is a first degree felony. You know, they, they put the aggravated assault deadly weapon there is, is kind of like a, a catch hold. Like if the organized crime doesn't stick, doesn't stick, then we at least we still have this. I gotcha. You know, so that's that's I mean, they, you know, they uh, they went for the EOC to try to knock it out the park. Had they not got the EOC, do you remember what your sentence would have been? Oh, uh, it's, the max is, is two to twenty. Okay, so you could have got two to twenty, and is that based on the judge or or the jury that hands out that sentence? Uh, either one. I mean, like in in a trial, you can you can ask to be uh, tried by a jury, okay, and sentenced by a jury, or you can you could ask them to be sentenced by a judge, okay. And um, I- either one, um, even if even if the uh, the false accusations or the the gang stuff hadn't taken place. And I had a fair trial where just the facts were told Yeah, about, you know, my sorrow and how I just made, I made a big mistake. Even if a jury of my peers would have gave me the max of 20 years, which is highly unlikely if just all the truth would have came out. But even if they would have gave me 20 years, I would have still been home part about 12 years ago, 12 to 14 years ago, because I mean, it's just uh, the Texas department of criminal justice. They don't, force somebody to do to do their entire sentence right you know at, at half of it you see parole and you might get a two-year set off which is a parole denial and then you make your next parole so there's a there's a strong chance that even if i got the the 20 the max i probably got out at 12 
and I'd have been home at least 12 years ago. Damn. So with that, you get, you said there was false testimony. Yeah. So <clears throat> the guy that was in the car with me, the one that I told the police to release cause he didn't do anything wrong. So leading up to my trial, he caught multiple more charges. Like he just spiraled out of control. He caught an organized crime charge. He caught, uh, I want to say it was a weapon charge. He had multiple charges pinned against him. Some of them first degree, some of them second degree, some of them third degree. And uh, so the DAs basically just went to him and said, hey, you know, if you get up there and you testify, this is what we want you to say. You know, we'll make all this go away. You'll get probation. So here he is with the organized crime charge, same kind of charge I, that they were pinning on me. Yeah. With multiple other charges against him from different crimes, not all from the same day, but just different times. And, uh, they told him we'll give you probation. And so, uh, you know, he played ball with him. And um, he got up there and he testified against me. And he lied saying that it was gang-related. and said that I was a gang member. <clears throat> and, I, you know, I still remember it, man, to this day, like, just watching him. Because, you know, I, 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 I helped him. Right. I, made, I made sure he didn't get in trouble, you know, because he, he didn't deserve to go, you know, get in trouble. Yeah. And here he was, you know, and he was getting up there. And it's one thing, man, if you testify against me and you're telling the truth, I might be mad at you, but I got to at least respect that. But you were a self-serving witness. Your whole goal was getting getting that uh, get-out-of-jail card. And you didn't care, you know, who took the fall behind it. And so uh, he testified against me, but I could tell that he didn't want to do it because he cried the whole time he was on, on the stand. I mean, he the the, uh, the district attorney had to tell the judge or ask the judge multiple times, like, you know, will you tell, tell the uh the witness to, to answer because he would just sit there. Like they would ask him a question and three or four or five minutes would go by with him just crying. And the judge would have yeah. to instruct him, Hey, you know, answer the question. And so he would answer telling them what they wanted to hear. Damn. And, and so they, they used him and, um, it took, it took, uh, cause he, after, after that happened, he started traveling a lot. Like he went to uh, Guatemala. He went to, uh, Costa Rica. He was down all in Central America and uh, he's traveled all over um, the United States. You know, it's like he's running from his conscience, you know, yeah. from what he did. Yeah, yeah. And then he finally came forward. Like, I, I haven't spoken to him. You know, I haven't spoken to him since the day I saw him testify against me. But thankfully, he finally came forward and and just said, hey, you know, what happened wasn't right. You know, and, and, and basically just told him, man, you know, that his words were taken out of context and things were said that were untrue. And when was that? At what point? Like <clears throat> that was probably about um I guess probably almost two years ago. Almost two years ago, because when he finally came forward and he admitted that um, uh, you know, that there was a lot of untrue things that were said to help convict me, uh my attorney, um, he hired this uh private investigator who was a former uh FBI. And they went and interviewed him, you know, got it on camera, audio, all that stuff. And uh, she came back and said, yeah, he's, he's, he's a very credible witness. Yeah. And um, so he, he admitted, you know, he said his conscience was eating him alive. Yeah. And just knowing that I was steadily just doing more and more years in prison. Yeah. And so he came forward and, you know, because he did that, I just wish he would have did it a long time ago. But because he did it, um, it assisted me. You know, and, and um, <clears throat> get my case overturned. Okay, so 
during the court, the original court case, <coughs> did your attorney fight the fact that he was, did he mention like he's getting a deal? This is why he's saying this stuff. Um, I can't remember that part of it, but uh, I know that definitely after my trial, I know in the writs that were filed, you know, the appeal writs, I know that it was mentioned, you know, that, that he received a deal. Yeah. And um, the appeal courts just kept on denying me. You know, just, I think they're so overwhelmed. With appeals. With appeals. Yeah. That a lot of times, and it's sad to say this, but a lot of times I don't even think they really just look deep into them. Right. Each case. And it's unfortunate because that's a life. Right. You know, and. um. But there's the, the other way to look at it, too, is that you've got so many people that are being <clears throat> convicted, probably rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. And they got nothing to lose to appeal. Yeah. Absolutely. Why? Why not? Take your chance. Appeal. See if it happens, yeah. and that's going to overburden the system. Yeah, so, it floods the system. Yeah. Oh. Um. So in that, you get your, you get convicted. Now, what's going through your mind? Well, so um, when they sentenced me to fifty years in prison, um, I went to Ferguson Unit, which is one of the worst places in the state, probably one of the worst places in the country. Yeah. And by now, you just turned what eighteen? Yeah, I, I was uh. I want to say it was right before I turned 18 or either, either right before or right after when I hit Ferguson. And when I got there, I found out that I was the second youngest inmate. Oh, my God. And uh, they called the gladiator for him. I mean, so obviously, you know, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? And uh, so that's where I grew up, man. Um, you know, suffered a lot of broken bones. My, my hands defended myself and had my ribs fractured. Um, you know, I really came out better, you know, on top because – you know, some people, I've, I've seen people lose their life or, you know, take their own life or, you know, guys getting there, getting there, getting, getting raped. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's a very rough place. What what are the, poli- how were, how was the learning curve for the politics in prison? Because there's a lot of, I've seen <coughs> prisons, I've seen jails, I've seen, I understand, I've got an idea, but yeah. the general public does not. They All they know is what they saw in Shawshank Redemption or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what. What is it like day one to to where you finally feel comfortable with it? You know your place. You know who to and talk as to. The youngest, most. I mean, yeah. To back up, Aaron's never even been in trouble at this point, yeah. right? Like that's what I'm saying. Like his learning curve's got to be yeah, either yeah. fast or you, you're in trouble. Now the only way I could really describe going into a place like that and being green is either you're gonna learn how to swim or you're gonna drown. Yeah, you know, and you better do it quick. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, I had to grow up, you know, I had, I had no choice but to grow up and I had to grow up very fast because in there it's, I mean, there's no gray areas either, either you're going to be a victim or you're not, you know? And, uh, so, uh, my first probably 10 years in there, I was just living that prison life just day to day, you know, I was reading books and stuff, but just day to day, I was just, you know, I was still young and, um, just looking forward to visits on the weekend and uh, just watching games, football games and whatever on the weekends and, you know, working during the week or whatever, yeah. you know, you work free in there. There's no, there's no compensation there and you have no choice but to work. Oh, really? Yeah. No, there's. What type of jobs were you doing? So uh, I was a, I was a cook. I was a, um, I was a cook for, for years. And then uh, I went to the, what they call the ODR officer's dining room. And I started working over there, serving, you know, all the all the guards. And I did that. And then I worked in a place called uh, Mop and Broom. And uh, we manufacture brooms. So I learned how to manufacture straw brooms. 
And um, I did that for some years. And then I worked in a place called Mapping Graphics, where we do topography maps. And I learned how to do all that type of stuff. And I don't know, just different jobs. You know, I might work somewhere for three or four years or five years. And then another department decides they want me. You know, and I go work over there. But, I mean, all the years I worked, you know, I didn't get a, I didn't get a single penny for it. Damn. You know? Did you have family put money in your books or anything? Yes. yes. Okay. I, man, I was I was so blessed. Yeah. You know, so blessed. Man, my dad, my mom, both of them have been down for me. Yeah. You know, since birth, you know, and, and that's unfortunate for a lot of people in there where their family abandons them. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom and dad, you know, they they came, saw me faithfully, put money in my books. My brother, Todd, you know, he, he came, he came every chance he could, brought his kids and his wife. And uh, obviously his kids, they grew up, you know, with their uncle Aaron in prison. Right. You know, uh, Ashley, she was, I think, two. And Brandon was one. And the other two, they weren't even born yet, you know, and so they, they're all grown adults now. Right. You know, and um, they just grew up coming to visit me and seeing their uncle Aaron in prison. Yeah. Um. So you're doing these odd jobs and stuff and, you know, in your head, it's 50 years. Yeah. So are you even thinking about educating yourself, trying to to think of keep some sort of hope of getting on the outside and getting a job or anything like that. I mean, I'm just trying to, I think of it and I just be like, fuck it. Like what's the point? Yeah. That was my attitude. Um, originally because I was, I was lost, man. I mean, yeah. You know, I went from a loving home, you know, they tore me from a loving home and threw me into the pits of hell, man. You know, and, uh, you know, you're lost, you're a lost soul. And, And for years I really wasn't thinking about education you know, I was just thinking about surviving. Yeah. You know, not becoming a victim or, you know, and uh, just basically just living day to day, not looking at the future. Uh, I was hopeless. And, of course, I had attorneys filing, filing appeals for me throughout all the years. And, um, you know, it was just one appeal after another that was getting denied. And um, it wasn't until I got party in my late 20s. When I really, I just woke up one morning and I can't even pinpoint the day, but I could just, I just remember when I woke up and I just, I just looked around and here's my cell bars. And I just told myself, man, you know, you know, what in the world do you have yourself in, man? You know what? You got to fight. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta figure something out. You gotta figure out because you know, I knew I was wrongfully convicted. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows my case like me and I knew I was wrongfully convicted. I'm just thinking my mind, like, you know, I got myself in such a, a horrible situation. And uh, that's when I started educating myself, when I started reading more books. And I just, man, I would knock out five, six, seven, eight books in a week. You know, and sometimes even more. Not me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I read I read well over 4,000 books. Yeah. You know, in prison. And... Uh, I'm I'm a real uh, history buff. Like I love history, especially military history, mm-hmm. World War II, Vietnam. I've read countless books on stuff like that. But I just started educating myself, and then I got in college, and I ended up getting uh, you know some college degrees. I took uh, four college trades, and then I uh, I started doing correspondence courses uh, with FEMA. Okay, become a, to become a first responder, and so I, I'm certified in twelve different fields with them. Be a first responder. Yeah. You know, because I, I just I just told myself, man, that if 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 God helps me, 
if he opens the eyes of people that the eyes need to be opened and I am released, I am, I do get my freedom back. I want to be an asset. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I want to be an asset to my community, Mm -hmm. to my state, my state and my country. I want to be able to help people. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that was my whole attitude when I started really maturing and I started just thinking about man, that, that I want to be somebody that when people look at me, they can say, you know what? He's a good man. Yeah. You know, that, that that's what I wanted. Okay. And so um And you did that. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Uh in in prison, mm-hmm. how uh, how what was your what's your opinion of uh corrections officers? How how are they helping the system? Are they hurting the system? You know, because nobody's gonna have a perspective like yours. I can tell you how it looks as a cop on the outside looking in, like yeah. they show up to work, nobody escaped, you know. They, the prisoner stayed safe, you know, because that's what it looks like on paper. But yeah. you lived it. Yeah, I lived so. it 24 years. So I'm going to say like this, you know, you do have good correctional officers in there. People that come do their job, you know, they believe in what they do. And they're fair, they're respectful. And then you got a lot of them that are bad. Um, A lot of people don't know this, man, but in the Texas prison systems, Man, uh, methamphetamines or what they call ice and K2 is rampant. Getting inside the prison. Yeah, and I mean, it's rampant. I'm not even exaggerating. It's rampant. Yeah. I mean, people flopping around everywhere and you ask well, where it's coming from. Well, you know where it's coming from. You know, we went on a quarantine for like six months due to COVID. We couldn't have any visitors. Yeah, and it was coming in even more then. So before they would always blame visitors saying, Damn. oh, what's the visitors bringing this stuff in? But it's not. I mean, it's the facts are the facts, man. It's the guards. Right. They're bringing in methamphetamines. They're bringing in K2. They're bringing in cell phones. Uh, I mean, because you'll have, you'll have one of these guards, you know, they're making minimum wage. They're, they're not making good money. Right. And uh, you have this guard. He can go to uh, one of the Metro PCS, whatever, um, and get a, a $80 phone turned on. And take it into the prison and sell it for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, exactly. A thousand dollars cash. Damn. So that that's I mean, the way they look at it, man, if I take four phones a month, yeah. I'm getting my paycheck plus four, four grand. And so they're doing that. And it, it's unfortunate. Like I said, man, I'm not riding down on TDCJ. Um, but they have a serious, serious drug problem. Right. And um <clears throat> I just think that uh, <clears throat> there's this activist named Wolf Sittler, man. He's he's a great man, good friend of mine. <clears throat> he lives in Austin. My throat's dry. Oh, you good, bro? So uh, he and I, you know, we just try to try to battle the system, and we were trying to battle about the about the uh, prefrontal lobe, right? You know, just talking about that, saying, "Hey, look, you know, if if because there's like 800 of us in prison." Kids that were under the age of 18 that have 40 plus years, mm-hmm. you know, and so we're just saying, hey, man, you need, you need to reevaluate this. You need to reconsider the harsh punishments that you gave these kids. Some of them got capital lives. You got to do 40 years just to see parole. And they were 16 years old. And I'm not saying release them. Yeah. I'm just saying give them a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, after 20 years, if a person hasn't changed, after 20 years, they don't they don't need to get out. Yeah. You know, and um, 
So me and Wolf, Wolf and I, we we talked about it, and I just told him, I said, man, my personal opinion from living in that place, if they had incentives for inmates, you would lower the uh, recidivism rates, and you would make that place a far better place. For instance, uh, you tell an inmate, if you get your GED, we'll take off four months from the time that you see parole. On the back side. Okay. All right. Get your GD. We'll take off four months. You get to see pro four months earlier. Right. If you go and take a trade, we'll take off four months. If you get a college degree, we'll take off eight months or a year, whatever. Yeah. Just give them a sentence because any prisoner, he wants to go home the fastest possible. So you're getting what you want, which is educating this individual who needs education Mm -hmm. because they showed that recidivism rates for a person with a uh, at least a associate's degree, drops down to like I think like five percent, but the ones that don't have it, the recidivism rate is like sixty percent mm-hmm. that you come back to prison. Yeah, so it's just for me if you if you offer people opportunities through education, through different things, showing them hey you know you can see parole three years early. If you go get your GED, you get your college degree, you take a couple of trades. If, you know, you don't get no cases, mm-hmm. or dis- disciplinary cases. If you do stuff like that, that place would be far better over a period of time than what it is right now. Yeah. And in turn, you're giving the inmates something to do productive with their time absolutely. instead of turning to drugs. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, yeah. and that's and that's what it is. You know what they say? Idle hands is the devil's playground. Right. Oh, yes. I mean, that's that's what it is in there. You got guys that are woefully ignorant, man. They're, they have no education. Some of them can't even write. Grown men can't even write. Mm-hmm. But they can, you know, roll up a, a K2 joint or, you know, snort some dope or, you know, they know how to sell dope or whatever. And um, <clears throat> when you're not giving people stuff to do, like you said, you know, you need to give people stuff to do that's productive. Yeah. Not only for that individual, but for the system as a whole. Right. Because, you know, just like Wolf told me, he made a comment about it. He said, man, he said, you know, only, this is the only business, because TDCJ is a business. He said, this is the only business where 60% of your product is coming back to you, is malfunctioned or whatever, and it's still able to run. Any, any other business, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna collapse. Right. But over 60, 60% of the inmates that get out, Go right back to prison. Yeah. It's because they never quit their drug habits, mm-hmm. their alcohol habit, because they, they make what they call pisto in there or wine, whatever you want to call it. You got dudes that are raging alcoholics. You know, they're in there for intoxicated manslaughter. And guess what they're doing in there? They're, they're in there making wine. Right. Drinking. So when they do go home, they're not sobered up. They're going right back to the bottle. Yeah. You know, you, you have to make changes on the inside. To hope that those people right. will change and be better productive citizens on the outside. And part of the problem I have with the the criminal justice system is, let's say you go and you get five degrees, you get four different trades, you get all this stuff. You still have a felony on your record. Most years was yours is different. The best job you're going to get is the jobs nobody wants. Absolutely. So what's that going to make you do? Yeah. Go hustle. Yeah. Because that's the only way you're going to get real money now you're educated and you can't do shit with it yeah and i mean if you look at if you look at aaron's 
like this list of accomplishments that he had, you know, behind bars with all the cards stacked against you. It is, I just remember I saw it and I was blown away. Like, I mean, if you read, I mean, he's over here like, oh, I got a couple of, it is like a resume of all these skills and trades. It's, it looks like he never stopped learning one thing after another, you know? Yeah. And it sucks that, you know, it, it took you 10 years even to get your mind wrapped around yeah. changing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you got to look at what's the point of prison. Yeah. There's certain, there's, I think there is like a three tier thing for me, punishment, rehabilitation, and justice. Absolutely. So those are the three pillars that I look at for, for that. Um, the rehabilitation part for me is the, the education, the traits, all that stuff. But the way the system's set up, it doesn't allow you to really utilize that. You know, mm-hmm. um, for a long time, I heard that you couldn't even be a barber on the outside. I don't know if that's true. It's just a old school one that I heard like, yeah, you can take a trade to learn how to be a barber, but you can't be a barber on the outside. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah. But I can tell you that like people that, you know, get into maintenance in prison, maybe go take a trade like a plumbing trade mm-hmm. or a welding trade, or let's say, um, uh, HVAC, um, electrical, whatever. So you can get out and you could work for, you know, electrician, but you can't be a certified electrician yourself. Right. You, yeah. You can, you can, you yeah, can that's... work for a plumber, but you can't be a master plumber. Right. You know, so, so you, you, you stay right here. Yeah. You're, st- yeah. you're, yeah, you're pigeonholed. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know the correct fix for that other than saying once you've done your time, you've done your time. Absolutely. That that's, that's the way I look at it. I don't see the point of holding a felony on somebody for, what is it? Seven years or is it for life? I don't even know how it long, depends. like I, I, as far as a job would do a background <laughs> check on you. I don't know if in a background check, a felony falls off after seven years or if it stays for life. I don't know. I, I'm not, a, I don't hire people, but yeah. at the same time, like to me, it's bullshit. Like yeah. I want you to, if you're wanting to be a productive member of society, I want you to go as high as you can go. Yeah. Um, you know, but then I get the argument too. Like, what if that person's, you know, convicted of homicide and now they're working next to your daughter? You know, it's, I'm just making up an example. Yeah. No, pe- people are naturally going to be alarmed. Right. You know, cause they don't know you. Right. It's like, you know, when I got pulled over in Mississippi, they didn't know me, you know, yeah. and, and uh, so it's very understandable when, when somebody finds out your past, even though you are now a, cha- a changed person, your past is still there. Yeah. And so it's automatically make people leery, you know, real yeah. cautious of you. And how many people have done what, do what, what you do, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're probably in the upper, you know, 3% that mm-hmm. go to prison and then have all these successes um, while you were doing your time uh, and then to get out and have the mindset you have. And I'll get into that because there's so many unique things about you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will yeah. get into it though. Um, so, so you're, I was going to get into the suggestions, you, you know, um, cause I, I want to improve the criminal justice system. That's, that's the point of the show. I want to improve things. I want to, um, the problem with prison is it's out of sight, out of mind for the public. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I can sit here and work on police stuff. Well, and it's so easy too, because like 
I went to elementary school with Aaron. That's how I know him. Yeah. Like we grew up together. So I, I know him or knew him before he went to prison. So it's easier for me to be attached to his story and follow him and say, you know, what's going on with him. But like, do you feel like you are the exception to the rule? Or do you feel like there's just so many people that are like you? I believe I believe that there's a lot of people like me in prison. I believe that um, there's a lot of people that were, you know, there's there's some people that were wrongfully convicted. There's some people that were rightfully convicted, but now are better people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in there that's getting educations, that um, go to church on the weekends, that are deacons in the church. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that. You know, I'm I'm not special in that in that sense. I mean, some people might on the outside look at me and say that I am, and and that's deeply appreciated. The people that do, but I just feel like there's a lot more people like me that um, were either wrongfully convicted or rightfully convicted, but that are better people. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you would know better than I would. I I I'm only going by recidivism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. um, so to improve that type of stuff, do you think there needs to be a a real um, checks and balances uh, audit done. Oh, absolutely! I think I think that the Texas Department of Criminal Justice needs a complete overhaul. Yeah, because a lot of people don't even know this, but they're so short of staff that they're going to other countries asking people to come work for them. Now, if if, if, if you look into it, it's, it's crazy huh. because I don't know that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like nobody wants to work for a TDCJ. I mean, the it, they have great um, dental health benefits and stuff like that, but the pay is not very good. And um, so, about my last eight years in prison, we started seeing a lot of people uh, from like Nigeria and stuff like that coming over here and working for TDCJ. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm fine with giving anybody an opportunity to work. That's great. But we're talking about thousands of correctional officers that are from these other countries. They can't hardly speak English. And you're putting them into authority position where they're having direct authority over another U.S. citizen. Yeah. And for me, that, that's, that to me, that bothers me. Right. It bothers me. But, yeah, it's just that they need a complete overhaul. They need to pay, they need to pay their staff better. Uh, they need to be harsher with their staff, like as far as not you know, making sure they don't bring contraband in. Right. Not just fire them, charge them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You, you need yeah. to charge them. They need to be charged. Yeah. There, need, there needs to be harsh repercussions because these are people with um, um, very sick and very real addictions. Yeah, they're victimizing people that are already at their lowest. Yes. I mean. And uh, for for a dollar. You know, they're, they're trying yeah. to get money and they, they don't care that it's destroying these people even further than what they're already destroyed. Right. You know, so, yeah, uh, I, I truly believe and I know there's a lot of activists out there that they they need a complete overhaul. It's Texas, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Well, there ain't many people that are going to have the perspective you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. You you did 24 years. That is a that's a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, that's a lifetime, you know. Um, so. Let's move on from that. You you're in, you're doing these appeals. This kid that you were friends with, he finally conscious gets the best of him. He goes back and he says, you know, like I fucked up. I lied on the stand. Um, Now, hold on. I have to add something. Okay. So meanwhile, you're in, um, tell 
Eric, what happened with the guy that murdered your friend? Okay, so I got oh, 50, yeah, I got 50 years, and because he wasn't physically able to stand trial before me, they postponed his, his case, his trial. I get 50 years, and about, I, I think it was like six months or seven months, maybe eight months later, he was able to stand trial, and they gave him 30. So he got 30 years for killing Omar, and I got 50 years for shooting him for killing Omar. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't get organized crime or some gang-related yeah. thing. Yeah. Holy and shit. And he was eligible for parole and got out when? Uh, he, he's, he's actually still in, but he was eligible for parole at 15 years. But he's uh, he's still in there. He, From what I've been told, obviously I haven't spoken to him, but from what I've been told that uh, he was kind of a bad character. Oh, he was just acting up. Yeah, in, he was in acting prison. up. So his first time seeing parole, he, he did 15 years, and then he saw parole, and they gave him a five-year set-off. And uh, he saw him again at 20 years, and they gave him another five-year set-off. So he's he's probably looking at coming up probably in about the next six months or so. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Um, all right, so this guy gets 30. Yes. And you have no contact with that kid. No. Okay. And there's there's – did your attorneys ever reach out and be like, was this, this, you guys weren't in gangs. He's not in a gang. Like this yeah. isn't gang related. Nothing. Did he ever reach out and do anything like that? Yeah. So one of my old attorneys named Randy Schaefer, he's, uh, he's in Houston. And, uh, he actually went over there and, and spoke to Joe Cruz and Joe Cruz said, you know what? Let me think about it. You know? So then he reached back out to my attorney and said, you know what? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll help. I'll write an affidavit saying that what they did to him was wrong. And um, I can't remember what all he said in the affidavit, but I have it at home. I, maybe I should have brought it. But he um, he basically just said, you know, what I did was, was worse than what he did. And although he did try to take my life, I did take his friend's life. And it had nothing to do with gangs. And his shooting me had nothing to do with gangs. You know, and, and, and he deserves a second chance. Really? Yeah. So he, he actually advocated for so me. So the dude you shot. Yeah. He's advocated for yeah, you. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. So he advocates for you. Your old friend reverses his statement. Yeah. And the appeal goes through. <clears throat> okay. So as far as that goes, so uh, I had, I think, eight different attorneys fighting my case over the years. You know, we'd have one and, you know, he would... You know, we would get rid of him, then we hire another one. And so uh, I exhausted all my pills. All my legal remedies were exhausted. Okay. And I found myself kind of in a, in a hopeless situation. And I was on the rec yard one day, and there's this guy. He always stayed in the law library. And I studied my case. Like, when it comes to organized crime, I know the law. I'm, you know, I don't know the law about too much else, but I know the law about You're organized crime. You're a specialist. Crime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm sitting out there in the rec yard, and I'm just I'm looking through the fence. You know, there's a lot of pastures and stuff out there, and I'm just looking, and I'm just sitting there. He walks up and says down beside me, and he said, what's up, man? And uh, I just told him, I'm just thinking. He was like, you know, what you thinking about? So I, I just told him, I said, man, I just don't know where to turn, man. You know, I've been fighting my case. At this time, it had been, I think, uh, about 22 and a half years. And I said, man, I've been fighting my case all these years, man, and I'm just not, I'm not getting no relief. You know, um, it's one, one appeal denial after another. And he asked me, he said, man, you ever filed to the CIU? And at, at this point, I never even heard of CIU. And I said, CIU? I said, no, what is that? He says, it's called Conviction Integrity Unit. And I said, uh, well, what is it? And he said, it's in the district attorney's office. And he said, write to the district attorney's office, ask them for an application, 
and then fill it out, try to get you an attorney to help you prepare it, and, you know, send it in and see what happens. So uh, that's what I did. You know, I had I had Wolf, my friend Wolf Siddler, I had him. Um, I talked to him about it, and he went online, and he had them send me an application. And then uh, so I started reaching out to, to attorneys. And one attorney after another just telling me, man, it's useless. It's useless. Mm-hmm. You know, one attorney told me, he said, man, he said, you're asking the very prosecuting office that has battled you every step of the way to reconsider. And basically admit fault. Yeah. And he in, said, in a sense. Yeah. And he just told me, he said, man, just accept it, man. That's, this is just what it is. You got 50 years. And so, uh, Wolf, he started encouraging me, man. He said, look, you know, you got college degrees. You write real, real well. Nobody knows your case like you. Write your own writ. And at this point, I, I'd never, ever filed any kind of legal document in my life. And so he just gave me that confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just started studying my case, studying it, reading, taking notes. And then um, I guess it was a couple months later after just every day I'm putting in four or five, six hours in just studying, 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 writing down, taking notes. And um, I sat down and I started typing it up. And I typed up a 38-page, what I was what I call a writ. It's an application, but I call it a writ because it's 38 pages of arguments on why I'm asking the CIU to please reconsider my case. And so I sent it in. And this is the first legal document I've ever put together in my life. And before this point, it was one denial after another. Mm-hmm. I sent it in, and about nine weeks later, I got notification that they agreed I was wrongfully convicted. So I, so I, you, I beat my own case. You beat your own fucking case. Yeah. Holy shit. Beat my own case. Bro, that's <laughs> legit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Whenever my brother told me, my brother Todd told me on the phone, I nearly collapsed. You know, I'm just, yeah, I, I was standing up on the phone, and like right now I just kind of, you know, just, um. so I'm standing there on the phone, and he tells me, he said, man, he said, have you talked to anybody today? And I said, no, I haven't talked to anybody yet. And he said, uh, Man, do I got some news for you? And I was like, you know, what's up? He said, we got a, we got a letter, a letter from Sharon Wilson. And I said, what does it say? So he started telling me. I, I'm telling you, I nearly passed out. Holy shit! Yeah. Like I can't. the 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 weight of a, a sentence, fifty years, yeah. just suddenly, just like that. So, and in nine weeks, that's a fucking quick turnaround. And what yeah. that tells me, being knowing what I know about law, yeah. your shit was so fucking tight in what yeah. you wrote. Yeah. They were like, I can't, like, there's nothing. There's no gap in this. And yeah. to, to so get them out. It was actually uh, uh, ADA. He's the he's the chief over the Conviction Integrity Unit. His name's uh, Stephen Condor. And uh, he's the one that actually investigated my case. Mm-hmm. And once he... You know, went over my case and realized that, hey, man, there's some serious issues here. He brought it to the DA, Sharon Wilson, and she reviewed it, and they agreed. They're like, no, this ain't this ain't right. No shit. Yeah. So uh, it took it took roughly about a year after that. It was it was close to a year after when I found out before I was able to finally get back to Tarrant County, and they were able to release me. So. They tell you like, yeah, your your stuff's good. Like yeah. you were wrong, wrongfully convicted. Yeah. But is there 
this is where I, I'm ignorant on this. I don't know. Like, do do you have to do like a mini trial real quick, or is there something? How does that work? Okay, so um, what what they did is uh, Sharon Wilson, her, and the judge in my court, and uh, they agreed that I needed to be released pending the Supreme Court of Texas ruling. So they signed off on it, had me extradited back to Tarrant County. Two uh, sheriff deputies come got me from a Cofield unit. Um, they brought me back, and then they released me while we waited for the Supreme Court of Texas to, to rule in my case. And it probably took about three months, maybe maybe four, yeah, before they came back and they agreed that I was wrongfully convicted. So now my, my situation as it is right now, the Supreme Court of Texas vacated that conviction, the organized crime conviction, and they sent my case back to Tarrant County. So now I'm waiting on a, a, a hearing with Tarrant County where they could finalize, you know, my, my case. Yeah. And basically determine, you know, what needs to take place because I was guilty of a crime, but I, I was wrongfully convicted of another. Right. And, uh, so it's, it's a very unusual case because, uh, you know, obviously I was guilty of, 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 you know, shooting somebody, but they convicted me of something I wasn't guilty of. And, and because of that, I ended up doing 12 to 14 more years in prison than what I should have done. Yeah. And the, the emotional, the, the stress and the toll that takes on a person's body, you know, me going to prison at 17 with a 50 year sentence. Yeah. A wrongful conviction, just growing up with that. Yeah. You know, and, uh, well, not, not only that there's, is there going to be any sort of checks and balances on trying to use somebody that's in a vulnerable state to, to get you on a crime that you didn't even qualify for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a shady practice in my yeah, opinion. Absolutely. Um, you know, at me as a detective, I, I do stuff um, all the time where I'm like, you know, the other guys in the other room talking right now, you know, yeah. that's about as deep as it goes for me. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm not using your plight against him. And you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a moral and ethical <clears throat> These are kids. Yeah, basically, yeah. basically, what you're doing is you're trying to get the truth out. You're trying to squeeze right. the truth, and, and and that's very understandable. Right. Yeah. But I'm not going to leverage somebody to to lie. Yeah. Just just to get one up on you. Yeah. And look what it did to him. You know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that needs to be addressed, in my opinion. That's yeah. that's one of the bigger concerns I have. Is is that a normal practice? I don't know. I'm not on that side of the house. So yeah. is that type of thing a normal practice? And um, maybe I'm in the minority, but I don't I don't agree with it. I don't think that that should be a a way. I should be able to get you on the truth alone. I shouldn't have to leverage Absolutely. based on something like that. Um, and then, uh, so you get that. So you got your you got to finalize your case. And then once you finalize your case, is that basically trying to make it so your record doesn't reflect that anymore? Yeah. See that that's what, um, I don't really know. Cause like, uh, one of my attorneys that, that did fight my case after I filed that writ and then the judge and the DA agreed I was wrongfully convicted. He came back on board he said, look, I want to come help you get this across the finish line. I'm doing it for free pro bono. And then he another, better after yeah. he left your ass. Yeah. And then another attorney, he came, you did all the work. He <laughs> owes you money. Yeah. He's like, Hey, can I have this win? Yeah, right. like, no. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, then the, uh, the Texas innocent project, when they got word of it, they came on and they said, we want to assist him too. 
I've heard of the Innocence Project yeah. through uh, Joe Rogan's shit, podcast. I'm surprised they're not like, hey, we want to hire you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no shit. <laughs> like, um, yeah, because you could start advocating for cases that you could look through. You know, yeah. well, there's actually one that I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to help the guy right now. That's easy oh really? Thing. Yeah, I'm trying to help him. So I'm I'm working on that. Um, but of course, I'm trying to live life too. Yeah, you know, after being in prison all the years, you know, I just. I've been everywhere though, man. We went to Florida. I've been all over Mississippi, <laughs> all over Florida. I don't know why you went to Mississippi. That ain't that ain't yeah. living life, bro. <laughs> yeah, just kidding, Mississippi yeah. folk. Um, so, are you going to get any compensation from the state? That's what that's what I'm definitely going to be trying to uh, fight for, because you know, once again, if, had I been rightfully convicted, right, I'd have been home 10, 12, you know, fourteen years ago. Right, and how do you put a value on that? And exactly, and yeah. uh, I mean, you know. And all of that, you know, looking at my situation as it is right now, I'm 42 years old. I'm getting treated like a 16-year-old driver because I have no driver history. So I'm paying over $300 for car insurance. <laughs> oh, my God. Damn. Um, yeah, and, and I have no credit. Right. I have uh, no health insurance. I have nothing in Social Security, so I can't pull from it eventually. You know, I, I'm, in, I'm in a dire situation where if I would have got out 12, 14 years ago. Yeah. I wouldn't be at 42 years old in this situation I'm in right now. So this is the shit I'm talking about. This is the type of things that I would have never even thought of that. And look yeah. how long I've been in the criminal justice yeah. system. Yeah. I would have never thought of that. Yeah. Um, so these are the types of things that I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how. But and here you are doing the right thing, too. Like, yeah. you're not right. trying to go without car insurance. Yeah. You're not trying to go without health insurance. Yeah. Like, you just know, like, it's. Yeah. yeah. And have you had trouble finding employment? Uh, so the, the job in Mississippi, when I was working for rivers utilities, the, uh, the lineman work, we were installing fiber optics, three of my nephews worked for them. And one of my nephews, he's like the right hand man to the owner of the company. So they brought me in on that job. And then when I came back to Texas, when I left that job, um, I started, I started doing Mason work. So, and I'm just doing it with another friend of mine. So as far as like, you know, going in and finding, you know, a legit company, that has 401k health insurance. And, right. You know, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been haven't, successful in, okay. in finding something like that. Okay. I was just curious if you tried or yeah. if you were, you know, getting the run around because they see that you have some sort of conviction yeah. or anything like that. But so we touched on the corrections officers. There's obviously a lot of fixes that need to be done in Absolutely. your opinion based on that. Um, and hopefully maybe this episode will shine some light to people that it will network through. Properly, maybe we can get some light shed on that. Um, what about the police back back when all this went down versus today? What has been your experience with them? Just curious. So my my experience when I first got arrested, obviously it wasn't a good one, but it was it was mostly my fault. You know, my my creation. Um, I believe that they were over ambitious wanting a conviction and wanting the best conviction they can get with the most time. Cause my case was all over TV. Mm -hmm. It was all in the papers. And so, uh, you know, who wants to try a guy giving 15 years for aggravated assault with deadly weapon when he's all over TV, mm -hmm. you know, they were looking for something more powerful. And when they convicted me, uh, I still remember, um, I can't remember which one it was, but I believe it was one of the DAs, one of the ADAs. He said, let this be an example to all the gangbangers in Fort Worth, we're not going to tolerate you anymore. And here I am. I'm not even a gangbanger, but uh, you're using me as an example. Right. You know, so and, the police side isn't necessarily the ones putting the, 
going with the final charges. Police, what we do is we we throw a net. Yeah. Like, all right, these are the charges that we see qualifies yeah. for. Yeah. Or at least what we think they qualify yeah. for. It's the DA's job to check those out Absolutely. and say, oh, this one's not good. Okay, this one's good. Yeah. So um, I'm not trying to defend the police on this, but that would be the DA. Yeah, no, it was it was it was, uh, it was definitely the DAs. Both of the ADAs that fought my case, they were over ambitious. Okay, you know they wasn't looking for truth and justice. They were looking for a conviction. Mm-hmm. You know, they were looking for another stripe on their on their you know yeah. their collar, whatever. And um, they were willing to do it. At whatever cost, gotcha. you know, that that's what they want to do. And I'm not speaking down on any kind of DA. There's a lot of good DAs. There's a lot of people. They, they just want to do a good job. They want the truth out there. And if somebody needs to be punished, they want to make sure they get punished. They want justice. Gotcha. And you got some of them that, that don't. And it's unfortunate that I, I personally, from my experience, I feel that both the DAs that were on my case, they were hungry, you know, and they wanted a conviction and they, they didn't, they didn't want to settle for a second degree. They wanted the first degree. Yeah. You know, and, and um, unfortunately for me, you know, they were able to get that. Mm-hmm. And this was back in 97? Yes. Okay. I was a freshman in high school, by the way, <laughs> in 97. Mm-hmm. So I was 14. So I was two years, two or three years younger than mm-hmm. you. And uh, I can't math very well. Now imagine uh, that from the time you were a freshman in high school till just a little while ago. Yeah. Like, like May 8th of this year. Of this year? Yeah, May 8th. Damn. We got to take him somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where, but we just got to take I him know. out and give him a night on the town. I, like, I don't know a way to make it up. You There's can't. no way. You can't make it up. You can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I get, and you own it. This is a part of love. You own it. Yeah. You did do something fucked up, and yes. you own that part of it. But at the same time, you know, the system's the way it is for a reason, you know? So you don't get fucked over. Yeah. You know, this, if this is the where it should have been, you know, obviously years got overturned. The system worked eventually, but now look, look at the fallout. Yeah. You know, um, you don't have any kids, no. nothing like that. No, I definitely want some, you know, I've, I've actually talked to my girl Brooke about that. I, I, I want to have at least one. I mean, I would love to have four or five, but at my age, you know, I feel like that was, that's, you know, it was stolen away from me. Yeah. And uh, but I, I would definitely like to at least have one, you know, where my life continues through them, mm-hmm. you know, and then I can I could raise them right, and um, you know, I, I I personally believe like one of the greatest gifts that God gives you is the ability to see your own flesh and blood mm-hmm. in, in, in this young life. Yeah, you look at you look at this kid and you say well, he has my eyes or he has my nose, yeah. or, you know, whatever. And you just look at me, you know, that this is yours. Right. It was God's creation, but but you made it happen. Right. Unfortunately for my oldest, she looks just like me. So <laughs> I feel so bad for her. It's terrible. Yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying. And like, I can't. I'm sorry. I try to bring humor to everything. I know it's a serious no, subject. It's, it's and cool. I just try. It's that's cool. my way of coping because I don't want to cry. So <laughs> God, I'm so close every time he starts talking about it. Um, in a God dang it. <laughs> I get emotional for him. Uh-huh. Um, Thank you, man. It uh, it sucks, and there's no way to fix it. And it just give me a second. <laughs> and it really sucks because I feel like it's easy for people to bury their head in the sand because yeah. in, in when when you don't deal with people in these situations like we do, you it's easy for you to say he's a criminal, and then you just right. you just move on about your day. Mm-hmm. Like ah, uh, he shot someone, but like. For me, like, 
I grew up with Aaron from the time we were in elementary school. Like I, you know, I knew him in a different way. And then you look and when you really look and I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's odd. I don't know that I would have had access to his story had we not been friends before. Like, how would I have seen that? Right. Because I don't read the news. I don't look at the news anymore. You know? Yeah, I try to avoid it. I look at it and I'm just, I mean, you just look at all the facts of it and you look at what he's done and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. Like, you cannot, I feel like that's the beauty of your story. You cannot look at your story and write you off. Like, what else do we want from someone? Right. What else do we want from someone if we are in this to make a difference in our communities apart from what Aaron has done? Yeah. Like, what else can you humanly ask of someone? And that's why I get to the point, what's the point of prison? Is it punishment? Is it rehabilitation? Is it justice? So rehabilitation, to me, has always been the forefront. That's supposed to help you become... It bring you back into society and and the way it's set up right now is yeah you're back in society but you're you're out here on the outskirts you're not we're not gonna let you get too far in there yeah and it's fucked up i don't like that um and i don't i don't know how to fix it but i all the only thing i can do is bring light to it so your story obviously is going to bring such a unique perspective that people just um and we're still going to get people that look at it oh fuck him he shot someone yeah. yeah, this is going to happen. And yeah. um, well, I guarantee and then, you're not that same person. Well, and then that's the problem with advocacy, right? Is what he just said. Like when we talk about how we talked on my episode about Hallie's heroes or you have like childhood cancer or whatever, whatever your thing is that you advocate for. Yeah, it's it's just what Aaron just said. He you, we want <laughs> to put him in this advocacy spot. But at some point he's like, <sighs> I'm ready to live my life and he deserves that. Yeah. So who, who picks up that burden yeah. of saying, that's it. We're going to change it. Right. Same thing with cancer kid. You have a parent who is in that day in and day out and then their kid is healed yeah. and they're like, yeah, I just, I want to live my life and they deserve that too. Yeah. So it, it comes down to like, at, like what do we do with it? Cause a Facebook share is lazy advocacy. It, it is. It is um, like, and you know, the optimist of me, I'm eternally optimistic about everything and um, to a fault. And I, you know, I look at Facebook, I'm like, well, it's, it's better than nothing. It is. No, it is. <laughs> you know, but and that's I get, how we see these stories too. But so. yeah. And it's, you take it with a grain of salt because he's, it's a diamond dozen. So I don't know. And then you got places like the innocence project. Um, I didn't know they had chapters like there's a Texas yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you know anybody from there, I would love to have an innocence project person here on the show too. Yeah, you I could can, come back with them. Yeah, I can, I can definitely uh, set that up. Okay. So, um, police side, correction side, DA side, um, we've touched on all of those. And then, um, in your moment to reflect on all of it. Um, what do you hope, what do you hope to accomplish now for you? And what do you hope to accomplish for the system? Not saying that you're doing anything for it, but what do you hope hap- comes of this? <clears throat> I mean, I hope and pray that that eventually change takes place for the system because it needs it. But as far as for myself, uh, 
I'm still, I'm, I just take, I take things day to day. I, I'm, I feel so blessed to be, you know, to be alive, to have my health, to be free. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. You know, even though I'm, people say, man, well, how can you, you know, do 24 years in prison and you can turn around and say you feel blessed or you feel grateful. And it's because, you know, when you're in a place like that and you lose everything, you're stripped of everything, you know, you learn the value of every little thing in life. Walking into a gas station to be able to get whatever you want. Yeah. Be able to turn left instead of right. You know, to be able to hug people, to be able to embrace people, uh, to be able to uh, conversate with people, to be able to spend time with people that you love, to be able to try to make a, a, a positive impact on others. Yeah. Like sitting here with y'all right now, you know, being able to talk to y'all to where you can see who I am as a man and just me, me myself hoping in my heart that I leave a positive impact on y'all that, that you, you look back and you say, you know what? I'm glad I brought him on. I'm, I'm glad he, he's a good man. You know, for me, it's just that that's, that's the way I want to live life. I want to live mm-hmm. life where people, you know, look at me and say, you know, he's a good man. And I want to, I want to be able, just be a, a, a positive impact on other people's lives mm-hmm. and however way I can. Yeah. Whether it's emotionally, whether it's helping them with stuff that they need, you know, whatever. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why I took them uh, FEMA classes. You know, it's not to make money. I'm not trying to work for them. I'm just saying that if something happens and y'all need me, I'm there. Yeah. I'll drop whatever I'm doing to try to help, yeah. you know, my, my fellow citizens. Yeah. It makes sense for a guy that wanted to do military. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that option's out the door now. Yeah. So, what's another way you can serve your country? Yeah. Something like that. FEMA, I think, yeah. is a great example. So, um, or, or trying to bridge the gap. Like, yeah. like you were talking about, you know, yeah. just being somebody that can, you know, because I can go talk to people there in the streets. You know, they look at me, you know, tatted up or whatever, and they, they're going to feel like I, you know, uh, I'm one of them. You relate. Yeah. I, I relate to them. But at the same time, I love the police. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. That's the, that yeah. was going to get to that. Yeah, I, 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 I do. <laughs> it I do. cracks me up because uh, who's your favorite president? Uh, Donald Trump. See, that's another one. I love him. I got I got a convicted uh, person that is a police fan. He brought me a thin blue line flag, um, and he also likes Donald Trump. He's a diehard conservative. Yes, uh, absolutely. Like it's so strange. Like to mm-hmm. me, I would have never guessed yeah. that ever. Um, but you know, this isn't a political show by any means. Not a religious show. Yeah. But you being in your unique position, that's just so strange to me. Like I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. I expected, you know, uh, if I was going to pick a political affiliate, it'd be Democratic, uh, and that's just me guessing and uh, a, a disdainful taste of police. Um, maybe, maybe more towards the courts, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's weird. The courts are who screwed you over. Yeah, but the courts are also who saved you. Yeah. You know, well, you saved you, but because God saved you. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Well, uh, he, you know, he, he, he gave me the fire spirit. Yeah. yeah. You know, God, God gave me the, the will to not give up, to, to continue fighting. Yeah. You know, just to remain, you know, resolute, just push forward. Yeah. No matter how many no's there is, sooner or later, you'll get a yes. And it happened for me. You know, I mean, and how about being sitting there and being told, like, give up? And like every door is shut, and yeah, in, yeah. In, by in, experts, yeah, by experts, by experts, by experts, yeah. by multiple experts. Like it's one thing to be told by you know just 
your your cellmate or whoever like yep. dude it it's not gonna do you any good i've been doing it for years like mm-hmm. okay but now you're being told by the legal professionals yep. multiple did any family members ever tell you to give up that'd no, be a crusher too yeah no none of my family they they like i said i was I, i've been truly truly blessed with you know an abundance of love from all of them yeah i mean they just been there for me you know and, and unwaveringly yeah and uh but yeah just uh it, it was always it was the legal you know professionals they told me hey you know you, you've exhausted all your legal remedies you might as well just accept it yeah you know? and i so i i for a brief period of time i worked in the um the prisons for the military the air force um and i was just a regular old corrections officer and uh to see guys that they're only doing six months to a year, mm-hmm. you know, at the longest, um, to see the hope and the importance of the phone call they got once a week, just the phone call. That was it for guys that only were being there for six months to a year. I can only imagine the, the impact that it has to have somebody come visit you yeah. while you know you're sitting there. Cause I don't know how often did that, was it once a month? Was it once a week? No, so I, I had uh, multiple people coming to see me, you know, once again, I was blessed. Um, but, um, I, I got visits, I'm gonna say at least three times a month. So okay. I, yeah. So at least three out of every four weekends, I would get a visit and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you can't even put into words how important it is mm-hmm. to be able to have people on the outside just mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, be there for you and love on you. When you go to visit and you're able to hug them, I mean, that hug means everything, man, because, you know, you, there ain't no hugging in prison. Right. The only physical contact you're getting in there is going to be some violence. Right. You know, and, and so when you're able to go out there to visit, and you're able to basically escape from that place into this small little room for two hours to be able to hug your family, talk to them about life in general, what's going on out there. To be able to just, just love on them. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're right back in it. You know, Was it one-on-one or was it you and everybody else that's getting visitation? Yeah, it's everybody. Like whoever, because they'd have yeah. a visitation room and they'd have a bunch of tables. Yeah. And so uh, TDC, what they got, you can you get uh, two adults and as many children as you want at a time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you only get one visit a weekend. So you, you get that one visit. It could be up to two adults and how many of your kids. Right. And, um. But no, I was blessed, but yeah, you know, like you said, man, that the the mental impact of having people in your life, mm-hmm. that could be a breaking point yeah. for a lot of inmates. You know, a lot of inmates commit suicide because they don't have people, you know, and when you don't have nobody and you have, like me, myself, pretty much all sense of hope was gone, but at least I still had them. You had an anchor. Yeah. I yeah. still had my mom. I still had my dad. I still had my brother. I still had, uh. I still had everybody, you know, that, yeah. that that was in my life. I still had them to love on me, to be there for me, to send me pictures, to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And that that definitely, uh, you know, it, 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 it helped me mm-hmm. to be strong and to continue pushing on. That's a different kind of love because 24 years and they stayed st- steady with that because you know how easy it is. Well, uh, I got stuff going on this weekend. I, I won't make it this weekend. Yeah. They understood yeah. just what it what it is to you. I think yeah. that's a different love. And, um, there's a lot, like you said, that maybe they start out hot. Maybe they, they are visiting and all that stuff, yeah. but you know how it is. You get busy, you get one thing that you're like, well, okay, I'll go next week. Sorry. Like, and you, of course, you gotta be understanding. None you can yeah. do. Absolutely. And then, cause you don't want to alienate 
the person that may come, that this is your visitor. Mm-hmm. And then one visit becomes two, two visits become three. And then where is your head at after, you know, a month, two months of somebody that can't make a two hour visit? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, uh, God, I keep put, I keep trying to put myself in your shoes and I just can't picture the loneliness like that. Even knowing you have family, yeah. like in between that time when you're, now, are you stuck in your cell the whole time? Is it like so, ad sec type thing? Yeah, is it? It, it really depends on what part of the, the units that you're in. Because, uh, you know, you got different levels. You got general population. Mm-hmm. And general population, uh, they have to rack up, go to their cells at 10 o'clock at night, and they can't come out until 7 o'clock in the morning. So they're they're locked up during that period in their cell. And then they can come out to the day room or go to the rec yard or do whatever during the day. You don't have to come out if you don't want to, but you that's just the hours that you have an opportunity to go out. Mm-hmm. Medium custody, which is high security, they get to come out for four hours a day. You know, and it, it kind of varies on when they're going to let them out, but you get four hours of day room or outside recreation. That's it. Mm-hmm. So for 20 hours a day, you're inside a five by nine cell. I mean, I could literally palm the walls. Right. Both my palms. Climbing like a little kid, like yeah. you used to do in between the yeah. doors. I could literally palm the walls. So. Yeah. I mean, you're in that 20 hours a day. Is that what you were in? Okay, uh, for for a brief period of time, I was I was down there because uh, just you know stuff happening in prison. You know, you're yeah. trying to defend yourself or whatever, and then you end up you know caught. Yeah, it doesn't day. matter if you started it. Yeah, it just yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you got uh, closed custody, which uh, they're locked up for 22 hours a day. They get two hours of recreation, some kind of form of recreation, but yeah. they stretch their legs. And then you got administrative segregation, which. They have zero contact with other other inmates. Yeah. You know, you're when they do let you out, you're going into a small cage with a little basketball goal, and there's nobody else coming in that cage with you. Mm-hmm. So you have zero contact with other, other inmates. Damn. So, but most of the time you were general. Yeah, I was general population. Yeah. And I, it's hard for people that don't deal with the system like we do to understand that, um, like there, there's politics in prison. Oh, absolutely. Like there's, there's <laughs> some movies portray it. I think they get a little Hollywood with it, but that's true. Yeah. And then within that, like, like you said, like you can't avoid a fight sometimes, yeah. but either way, it, it doesn't matter in prison. You get in trouble yeah. regardless, even if you didn't start it. Right. Yeah. So, um, I don't, we don't have to get into the politics side of the prison stuff, but, um, yeah, I just, I try to wrap my head around not seeing, you know, my family, like not having that access. Um, you can't just make phone calls whenever you want. Can you? Okay. So about, I guess it was probably about 10, 10, 12 years ago, they brought phones in. So by my first 10, 12 years in prison, there was no phone access. You know, you just, you didn't make phone calls, you get letters and you get a visit. Oh, so you didn't even get phone calls. Yeah. So, so then they, they brought phones in there. It's like pay phones. Yeah. And so. Uh, you had to have a phone card or something? Yeah. Like? No, you just, you punch in your number. Okay. It's voice recognition. And then if you have money on your account, they'll just take it off your account. Or you can make a collect call to somebody on the outside and they'll pay for it on the outside. Okay. Uh, but yeah, once they started, uh, once they brought the phones, that was, that was a blessing in itself, you know, because. <sighs> You're able to talk to people every day and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, they brought the phones, and, and I was able to make phone calls. Damn. No cell phones, though, right? 
No. Not legal yes. ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah, legal you, ones. You had them in there, but yeah, they're not yeah. legal. And if you get caught with one, I seen dudes get 30 years for a cell phone. Ooh. Dang. Yeah. Have you seen these inmates on TikTok? Like, yeah. how are they getting on TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's dangerous. That's a right. dangerous game right there. Stoop. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's dumb that's, shit. That's, that's a dangerous game. I, I already had too much time as it was. I don't want to touch none of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. But, you know, I sit there and I think, like, if I were to put, put in prison right now and they let me have my cell phone, I'd be all right. <laughs> I'd be all right. You, you yeah. get your ass kicked so fast. Games, like, <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. For sure. I would for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. jiu-jitsu doesn't help you in prison because they don't fight one-on-one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You ain't going to make it. Yeah, nope. Yeah. Nope. I'm just going to sit in the corner like, you got some of that ad seg? <laughs> this motherfucker right here. Yeah. Volunteers. Yeah. That's tribute. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, man, uh, I appreciate, I, I mean, we're not done. Yeah. I appreciate that, um, that story, all that stuff. I'm, I don't, I, I feel like I have to apologize to you. I have nothing to do with it, but I'm just sorry that happened to you. You know, um, I love the fact, I think I love the most that you're like, yeah, I fucked up. I did yeah. do some wrong, but I didn't, I didn't deserve this. And I, I agree with you. I don't mm. think you did. Obviously you didn't because uh, the CJ system lets you out, yeah. you know, based on you being a badass and mm. taking the law in your own hand. <laughs> you're like, you yeah. know what? I'm going to go Lincoln lawyer on this bitch. And <laughs> you know what? It makes me so sad though, because it's like, oh, just the potential. Like mm. if you right. can do that. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. And it, you know, I, if you're a spiritual person and you believe that there's a plan, maybe this was for a reason. I mean, that's a, a hopeful way to think of it for you to do yeah. a lot of good that you couldn't have done without this experience. Well, I, uh, I've told people, you know, I said, man, you know, through my experience, I found a deeper meaning of life. You yeah. know, when you've been stripped of everything, you learn, you learn the value of those things. Yeah. And uh, so for me, I'm thankful from my experience because it made me to the man I am. So I'm very thankful. And now is it unfortunate that I had to do so much time? Yeah, it is. I mean, cause 24 years, that's, I mean, that's a long time. That's, yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm very thankful. And I know that because of my experience in there and because of the trials and tribulations I went through, I know that that's what made me into the man that I am today. And so for that, I'm, I'm deeply thankful for it. Yeah. Well, I hope you get compensated for it. Uh, somehow. I don't know what, because like I said, like you said, you come out, your car insurance is through the roof. Yeah. Because you've got no driving history. You're, you, what what else was it? Your uh, health insurance. Yeah. You, you ain't going to have no health 401K. insurance. No 401k. Yeah. No 401k. Yeah. No, I've never invested in Social Security, so I have nothing there. I have nothing in 401k. Right. And here I am, 42 years old. Yep. You know, and, and in a blink of an eye, I'll be 52. In a blink of an eye again, I'll be 62. And you'll be looking like, you know, I'm going to get to a point to where, I can't work no more. My body's going to be too beat up or whatever. And, and, uh, had I, had I been rightfully tried and convicted, I would have been home, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago. And I'll be in a better position in this day right here. Yeah. Yeah. You may have been in your late twenties, yeah. early thirties. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, which today that seems to be like when most people start getting their life together anymore. Uh, a bunch of people stay living at home too long. Mm-hmm. Um, or starting over at 40. Yeah, we're, we're starting over at 40, <laughs> going out and trying to be Doogie Hauser. <laughs> uh, shit, look at my wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This sweetheart, mm. 
she orders, she gets a present from my wife <gasps> doing the nursing school stuff. And yeah. this stuff shows up on the porch. We get this package and I'm like, I remember her telling me she was going to do something. I just didn't know what it was. And all of a sudden, you know, I order Amazon quite a bit <laughs> to the point where my wife gets pissed off. I do it. too. Yeah, dude. It's so like easy. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I love Amazon. Yeah. So she, all of a sudden like, this, this package shows up and she opens it and it's all this nursing, like, like little nursing gifts. Like, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, I didn't fucking order that. <laughs> uh, she's like, she's like, oh, is this from you? I'm like, I was, I was that close to the week. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, no, I don't know where the hell that came from. And it took probably 10, 15 minutes. And then all the synapses started going off. And she was like, oh, it's from Brandy. And I was like, that bitch outdid me already. <laughs> so I'm proud of her. I'm proud of anybody that puts effort into themselves and yeah. scary things, you know? Yeah. I like, just, I feel bad. Like, I feel bad because she took the back seat through my career. Yeah. Like, no one, I didn't make her do that. I don't want to come off like I was like, no, bitch, it's my turn. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say that. I just, she supported me and she never really had a dream. Like, she just wanted to work. Like, she's like, you know, just work. And if it interests me, I'll do it. So she started cutting hair. She got her hair license. So that was fun. And then I did the military thing and she didn't really like starting clientele over and doing that. So she worked in a bank for quite a while and she liked that. And she worked at the chiropractic office when we moved here to Texas. And, uh, I think that's what kind of triggered the, the helping people and whatnot. So she at 36, 37 years old, she was like, I want to go be a nurse. What do you think about that? And I was like, fuck, let's, let's go. So she's starting, not starting over, but just starting. She's just starting like to follow a dream. So I think that's pretty cool. Brandy's been one of her biggest fans. Um, and she's it. probably one of your biggest fans. And yeah. I'm a fan. I mean, yeah. dude, I can't. I What I admire the most is just your attitude towards it. Like, yeah. you know, you don't let it like defeat you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the embodiment that I try to, I try to project all the time is just like, okay, how can I turn, how can I make a shitty situation fun how can i make it look good well and then like to be to me to be raising young men and be like hey don't ever think there's somebody you can't learn something from yeah like right because it'd be very easy like as a mom yeah right off this convict you know like hey i don't you don't have anything to learn from him and what a shame that would be yeah because my kids could learn so much Mm -hmm. like look at the situation look at don't tell me about your bad day yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Say, tell me yeah. something about how your Nintendo doesn't work. Right. First world problems. <laughs> Why don't you tell me something? Yeah. Like, and then here you have it. Like, no excuse. Educate yourself. Picked himself up from a sixth grade reading level. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. N- nobody's in there holding his hand, telling him, hey, let's go to school. You got to better yourself. You know, like, that was you and your, your will and your ambition is so impressive. Yeah. yeah. And, if you had come in here and I thought your story was bullshit, I would have said something. I would have been like, well, this, this doesn't make sense. Tell me this thing. But dude, I got nothing like everything legit as far as my experience goes with with the CJ system and whatnot. So, um, I'm sure people are going to go, well, yeah, but he still, he still shot someone. I'm like, he was 16, 17 years old. Do you remember the dumb shit you did at that age? He said he did it. Yeah. And then he said he did. Yeah, I know. Like he owned it. Did his time for it. 
Well, well and that's a lesson in of itself too, right? Yeah. Like when you sit down and you talk to your kids or I, I hope, I hope one day you get the chance to talk to young people and tell them like, listen to me, these moments of anger that you have and these decisions that you make will sit with you for the rest of your life forever. Yeah. You know? Right. Forever. Yeah. And then not to mention the trauma just being in prison. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that, that definitely, uh, like I tell, I tell people, man, my, my outer scars from prison are nothing compared to the ones that are inside. Yeah. I can't you know, even imagine. Yeah. No. Th- th- those don't go away. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah, you know, sure. I got arthritis in my hands now from broken bones and, you know, but my scars are nothing compared to, you know, what I experienced on the inside. Yeah. Um, recommendation first responders we see bad shit all the time um we have a high divorce rate um all that one of the things that i did to fight it and it may not work for you it worked for me at least with my wife um i've never held any of the bad shit back like i tell her everything and i think that's one of the reasons why we do well together um because i don't hold it in and if it like you know you see it a dead kid on a scene, anything like that. I come home and I let it out. I tell her, you know, she knows something's up too. Like she'll ask me cause I'm hugging the kids. They're in sleeping. And I walk in and I'm just, you know, hugging the kids. She's like, you had a bad night, huh? I was like, yeah. She's like, tell me about it. So I don't hide it from her. Yeah. So you got Brooke. It sounds like that's your new anchor. So yeah, um, she's man. She's been an absolute godsend. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, if I'm in the ocean, she's definitely the raft keeping me afloat, you know? And, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I uh, I talked, you know, anytime she asks me about prison or about my experiences, I talk to her about it, you know. I'm, That's good. Yeah, I don't hold anything back, and, and I, I tell her all the time, man, that um, communication is the most important thing of a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, trust is right there with it, you know, a commitment, but you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to, if there's something on your mind, something bothering you, talk about it. You know, don't don't let it fester, and then you get angry, and then you snap. Yep. You know, if there's something bothering you, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why anytime she has any questions with me about my experiences in prison, you know, I'll, I'll talk to her. Like we may lay down and talk for hours, middle of the night, and she just asks me just talk to her about you know just different things, and I talk to her, and you know, she's told me she said that she's never had anybody in her life that can communicate like I can. My my willingness, like to be ver- vulnerable, like you know, I don't see a person, a man, shedding tears is a sign of weakness. I see that he's, he's comfortable with himself enough, because mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing weak about me. But I have no problem. I'll, I'll cry in front of people if I'm hurt. I'll cry in front of people. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't try to be that macho type, whatever. Mm-hmm. I am who I am, and I'm very comfortable with my own skin. And uh, with her, yeah, it's, it's just been uh, it's been a gift. She's yeah. been she's been a gift to me. Um, better lock that down, son. Oh, I'm going to. <laughs> it's like it's, like, it's so crazy. I'm like everything we talk about. I'm like I'm in awe because yeah. if you think about being in prison, and and here I am in relationships with grown men that have been out their whole life. You're right. And they're like, I can't communicate. And Aaron's in his first real like relationship and has it figured out. Right. Yeah. Like. It's so crazy to me. Like, this is bullshit. Like, you got it going on. Like, way to go. She's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Okay, going through all these I... candidates and they can't live up to. <laughs> I found a 
one. You got a good one now. I, I do one. like this. is my favorite one. Yeah. 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 I've yeah. I've had a man crush on your your man for quite a while. Day one that he came in the academy, I I was the instructor for her her new man okay. and um, but he he was a army badass. Uh, he couldn't cut it in the air force, but um, for the army standards, <laughs> uh, for the army yeah. standards, he does he did all right. But no, he's a good, a genuinely good guy. Um, helped save a life by donating bone marrow. Um, yeah, that's through, tough right there. Through surgery, like yeah, he had to get the like the marrow. Like yeah, that's... he was a match, and he went through with it and saved a life that way. But that is a painful procedure. Absolutely. Um, and did he fly? Yeah, to Italy or something like that. Or... They flew him to uh, Washington D.C. and he donated for a little kid in Italy. Italy, that's really? what it was. Yeah. He, uh, Maybe, maybe one day I can meet him. Yes, I'm. I wish he could we come. Fucking go do a triple date. Oh, we need to. Yeah, we that know. would be we so do that. fun. Go down the Magnolia. <sighs> we never do anything. What? I would love to go out. No kids. No. no yeah, kids. Brooke, Brooke, Brooke would definitely love that too. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah she would love that would be so yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. He tried to. I tried to keep him in the friend zone. Yeah, yeah, you did. For a long yeah, time. you were dumb. I was like, like I was like, not another cop. <laughs> she had to wait till she re- retired. Yeah. yeah, and then like you're in the prince and he's like, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. stayed there for almost six years. Does he know the whole Clydesdale story? No. Yeah, like at the department, she's known as a Clydesdale. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, tell him the story. Okay, so <laughs> you'll love it. We have this. Um, how do you describe He's a, a think a think a gunny from um Full Metal Jacket. Okay. You know who I'm talking yeah, about yeah. that drone instructor yeah, guy. Yeah. Okay. Salty, you know, just old old salty dude, right? And, and he wasn't like militant like that, but that's the best persona He's I could awesome. get. He's an he awesome like dude. Gives everybody crap and he like calls everybody out on their faults and Yeah. Like if there's a stereotype, he's using it, and <laughs> yeah. like he, he's just great, right? Yeah, very un PC. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we're in the academy, yeah. and he's like, "Hey, um, he calls me von Kampenstein because he says I look like a Frankenstein." <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, "Hey, get over here," and I'm like, "Sir, yes, sir," and I go running up there, and he grabs my leg. Like, the bottom of my leg right here. Like, not inappropriate. I don't right. get in trouble. But, like, down here on the bottom. And he's like, hey, everybody, you see these legs right here? And he's talking to all the police recruits. He's one of our instructors. Like, 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, um, some women are made for beauty. Those are show ponies. And those are women that are that you want on your arm when you go out at night. And you want to show them off. And then he's like. And then there's Clydesdales like Kempenstein here. <laughs> sure. Fucking workhorses. Yeah, he's like, yeah. she's built for work. Look at these thunder thighs. <laughs> so then they yeah. call me Clydesdale from then on. Yeah, so yeah. I'll occasionally, now that you're on Facebook, um, God, that had to be a, such a, you went to jail, you went to prison. Like no cell Analog. Phones, like, he went back, he, like basically everything was analog. What was it? Was there Nintendo and Sega was probably out? Yeah, you had uh, Super Nintendo and you had Sega Genesis. Uh, you had pay phones that were quarter piece. You had, uh, you know, a quarter phone call. Everybody had pagers, beepers, whatever you want to call right. them. Yeah, you know, you still had the yellow pages, <laughs> big crazy. old yellow pages. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the way it was back then. I, I remember before I went in, I think gas was like 93 cents a gallon. Yeah. Fuck no. that. I ain't not anymore. <laughs> it's three bucks. Yeah. And yeah. then you get out and they like hand you a cell phone, right? Yeah. They, so I, a I, smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. I mean, the the change because back then uh, a home PC was like gateway computers. Like that was like the first like yeah. really make a home computer. And we didn't really have. Like, I didn't, no, yeah, I, I didn't know anybody that had a computer. You know, when right. I was growing up. But that's what I'm saying. Like the the computers, mine was at school. You know, like those are the computers I saw, and then flash forward to like oh my phone's recording the episode i can't show it you know now i've got a computer that does everything that we could ever imagine yep so what's the learning curve been it's been it's been kind of overwhelming at first you know it was it was really over because i got i got the that brand new uh iphone 12 pro max hell yeah you know and (laughs) I got this little computer in my hand and I'm yeah. trying to figure out how to, how to work on it. And yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's been amazing, man. Those them phones technology is just, you didn't have to look in the serious women's lingerie catalog part anymore. Just, <laughs> <Get out. laughs> yeah. Yeah. He knows what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we had back then. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, technology is just amazing. Like yeah. with, that, with that new, that, the the twelve Pro Max, like the, you take a picture of it, the detail in that, it's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's it, absolutely amazing. I think at that age when you went in, we were still going to the gas station, yeah, buying the, the little, little cardboard, the ones. little throwaway yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we still have like fifteen of them from our wedding because <laughs> we went and yeah, bought like we it. was poor, so we went yeah. and we couldn't afford a photographer, so we went and got those. Oh, that's funny. Those, them out yeah, and we left them at the yeah. tables. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, hey, that's really a good idea that's because a hood then you, you might even out of all them pictures, if you can capture five or six good good yeah. pictures, it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, and it's fun because you know your dumbass friends are taking ton of inappropriate pictures. So <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah, but yeah. So I just thinking of the cultural change, just the learning curve. All there's cars that drive themselves. Yeah, you know, there's Teslas out there. Like, were you able to keep up with some of that stuff while you're in through TV or anything? Yeah, like just that? like commercials and stuff like that. You know, you see commercials, and uh, obviously, I see commercials about you know cell phones and guys coming in that, uh, had, you know, that were just recently coming into prison. You know, telling me about phones and. <laughs> You know the argument between Galaxy and and <laughs> iPhone and iPhone. It's you know, in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they'll argue about that about which one's better and yeah, yeah. So I mean, I uh, I wasn't I wasn't completely out of the loop. Right. It just when I got out. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When when I walked out the county, I don't know if you've seen the video on that yet, but they got a video where there was a lot of people across the street, and they didn't release me until one o'clock in the morning. They got out there at noon. And stayed out there the whole day. Waiting. Just waiting for you to walk out. Yeah, they had posters. Holy shit. Were uh, they intentionally not letting you out to try to give you some privacy? Or I, uh, So there, there is an argument there. The um, Tarrant County um, Jail, they were blaming it on TDC. And TDC was saying no, that it's their fault. So it was kind of just going back and forth. I got gotcha. you. But yeah, they, uh, they finally let me out, man. There was probably about 50 people across the street. Sorry, I just saw that my yeah. my screensaver kicked on. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I don't want people to see reflection. Yeah. So, um, so what, which one is you? Uh, I'm this guy, and then <laughs> that guy over there is uh, that was in Tino. When I first started this, calling it Two Cops One Donut, yeah. um, the intention was uh, to just have another. You know, if Brandy wanted to come on and be my co-host, yeah. like I was going to constantly have a cop as a co-host. Yeah. Well, it's really hard to schedule. Yeah. Like. It, like Zentino, he lives 
all the way to the north side. It was an hour away from me. Yeah. So it was really hard for him to get get going. But when I got it started, I just I made I got this I paid to have this picture made mm-hmm. and um got him on there with me and everybody's like, I thought he was your co host. I'm like, Well, he was, but it wasn't like an official like for the rest of this show. It's just whenever I could get another cop yeah. on here. So, yeah. you know, got Brandy on here today. I don't always have another cop, it's yeah. just, but I call it Two Cops, One Donut because my favorite podcast was um, Two Bears, One Cave. It's Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura, which I don't know if you know those comedians, mm. but hilarious. I, Tom Segura gives me chest pain. He's he makes me laugh fuck. so hard. <laughs> He's playing locally soon. Oh, you got to look up some of his stuff, Aaron. Oh, my God. So yeah. fucking funny, dude. So funny. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So yeah. you get out, and then there's not only technology, but, like, what about food and everything? Yeah. So let me let me tell you a story about that. So um, the two sheriff deputies that come and got me from Cofield, you know, that that's, that's very unusual. Like, it, they don't usually come pick up inmates. Yeah. So these two sheriffs, they, you know, they show up, and they're in their, uh, um, their cruiser. And they tell me, they said, man, you know, what What do you got going on? You know, so they I, don't know the story. Yeah, so, I, you know, they had me shackled up because, I mean, I'm, I'm a prisoner, so they had me shackled up. And so I'm in the back seat. And so I started telling them my story, and I'm telling them why I'm going back to the county. And like it blew y'all away, I mean, it, it blew them away. Yeah. And, Just don't uh, hear that. Yeah, and one of them told me, he said, so you're fixing to get out? And I said, yeah, they're, they're fixing to release I'd me. I'd unshackled your ass right there. Hey, you know what he told me? He said, when was the last time you had a good meal? I said, about 25 years ago. Damn. And he said, we're fixing to fix that. They pulled up in a Waterburger. Oh, one so of them went in. They didn't take me to an in and out, Nah. Yeah, they pulled up in a Waterburger, and one of them got out. The other one stayed in the car with me, and one of them got out, went in there and got me uh, double meat, double cheese, oh, the works, gosh. french fries, got me a Coke. And I was in the back seat with these handcuffs on, but I was, man, I was in heaven. Hell yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was in heaven. I told him, man, I said, thank y'all, man. Thank you very oh, much. And, yeah. I bet that was so good. I've yeah. done that for guys that yeah. I know are going to go away. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm arresting them. Yeah. I see that they violated probation that's going to be a heavy hitter. And I'm like, hey, man, like, you hungry? Like, because you ain't going to eat for a minute. Yeah. Like, so yeah. run them through. Whataburger is usually, you know, yeah. the go-to Open. for Texans. And, uh. I am. I do like in and out better. So personally, <laughs> you hear the debates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's awesome. That's yeah. a cool story. I'm glad they did that for you. Yeah. Um, shit, I probably would have taken the cuffs off and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever, uh, when they dropped me off, you know, they took me in and they made sure I was squared away, you know, and, and they both came over there and, uh, talked to me and, one of them told me, man, you take care of yourself. You know, I wish you the best. And the other one, he reached out, shook my hand and told me, hey, man. Yeah. You know, get out and do right. And yeah. That's so much, man. You ain't got to worry about that. Them. Yeah. Do you County, remember their do you names? recognize this man? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember their names at all? I don't. I, I wish I did, man, because okay. they, 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 they definitely deserve recognition, you know, recognition right now. Yeah. Just like Sharon Wilson and Stephen Connor do, man. I mean, because, you know, they chose to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. My case w- was legit. I was wrongfully convicted, but they didn't have to take their time actually investigating my case. They could have just said no, just like the appeal courts kept on doing to me. Right. But they chose to follow the letter of the law. They chose to do the right thing. And so I'm, I'm personally, you know, internally grateful to them. Yeah. And I will always be grateful because they, they gave me my, my life back. Yeah. 
Have you been in contact with her? Have you talked to her personally? No, I haven't. Uh, I'm hoping that sometime soon I could set up a meeting where I can go down there and just talk to her because I, I just, I just want to I want to get their side, like how things are going to unfold. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to I want to understand what's going to take place, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I definitely want to be able to talk to her about, you know, my plight, like my situation right now. Yeah. Where I have like, you know, like I mentioned, there, there's no 401k. There's no Social Security. Um, my car insurance through the roof because I'm like a 16 year old driver and I can't find a legit job where I'm getting paid good money. Mm-hmm. You know, 15, $16 an hour, man, that's, that's nothing. You know, you, you really can't survive out here on something like that. Like a young teen still living at home or a young, you know, somebody in their twenties still living with their parents, yeah. making 15, 16, $17 an hour. That's cool. But if you got serious, you know, bills to pay and stuff like that, it's hard to try to survive on something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to step into a role where you're trying to take care of a family too. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, well, I do have friends that are friends. Yeah, so I can try to reach out, try to get you connected if uh, your attorney hasn't tried to do that. Um, I don't like that his attorney just try like, okay, I'll help now. That bugs me. Yeah, <laughs> that bugs me. Why is he stepping back in now? I uh when 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 he came he came back and he talked to me about it, he admitted, you know, he just told me, hey man, you know, you're right. Oh shit, I'm cramping up. Oh. I, I ain't got no you're more right? electrolytes for you, bro. Uh, I've been I've been dealing with cramps here lately for some reason. Would you quit hitting my camera, lady? Oh. I did I hit it again. Again? I can see it over there bobbing Listen, up and down. I'm... Clydesdales don't do well in small spaces. <laughs> Neither does he look. He's over here cramping up. Yeah, I'm cramping. Yeah, I, I I've been dealing with cramps. For about like the last few months, and I actually went and saw a doctor about it, and she just told me I needed to take uh, magnesium and potassium pills and okay, you know stuff like that. But. So I don't know if this will help you, but so when I was a kid growing up, I loved they were called Clearly Canadian. It was a carbonated flavored water. Okay, well, fat flash forward to today, my wife brings home like from Walmart or something. It's called Clear American. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So I see yeah, this water and I try it and I'm like, oh my God, this tastes just like Clearly Canadian. These are amazing. Love them. And uh, the point I'm getting to is they are loaded with potassium. Really? Yeah. No no calories, no anything else, but it's got a lot of potassium. So you're still drinking water and you're getting potassium. Yeah. So that might help you. Yeah, you, you definitely need potassium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, and I, I work out a lot. So like my muscles, they're, they're going yeah. to locking up on me. I just worked out legs yesterday, so that's why my legs are. I hear you. That's why it's locking yeah. up on me right now. Yeah, getting them squats in. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh oh, it's a uh oh. Just in push a nice it. Nice real gym. Yeah, I know. My okay. bad. You can set it on the floor even if you want to. If it doesn't want to stay, it'll stay. Yep. See, I got small. I need I need sponsors so I can grow my office. It's okay. <laughs> but um, so what's the uh, future holding now? What do you um? What are you looking at? Just enjoying life. Just enjoying life. Yeah, that's that's yeah. all. That's all I can ask for, man. I'm yeah. not trying to make up for lost times because it's impossible to do. Yeah. So I'm just I'm looking at just taking each day as it comes and you know uh, embracing every blessing that comes my way. I hear you. you know? Shit, man. I might have him on the show just to be a co-host. How fun would that be? You know what I mean. That'd just to, how far? How long do you have to drive to get out here? It's uh, about 30 minutes. It's not bad. That's not terrible. It'd be so interesting. See, now you should have him interview a cop. Right? 
like a cop with an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. Well, you know, your story, I was, I was, I was sitting in prison and I was watching the four o'clock news and I see where it showed this cop was shot and they bring this woman on the TV. She took up the whole screen. And, and before it even showed her name, I looked at her and I said, I know her. <laughs> and I, I watched you talking to them when it said your name. I mean, obviously, you know, I haven't seen you so long, so we all change, you know. We, yeah. But I, I, I recognized your face, and my mind was spinning. But when I saw a brandy camera, man, my heart just swelled with pride. And yeah. I just, I, I almost cried because I was just thinking in my mind, like, man, you know, she's she's made something good of her life. Yeah. And she showed that that she's courageous, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to help, you know, her partner. And, uh, yeah, I was just, I was floored, man. I'm very happy. I'm, I'm very proud of you. Yeah. Proud of you too. Thank you. She uh she's part of a lot of good things. So you got humanizing the badge. You got Hallie's Heroes. Um you've done you revamped she revamped for a major police department, one of the top twelve in the nation. Um basically helped create the tactical medical unit, which is what saved another officer's life. Um saved several officers' lives actually. Uh one that happened right behind an officer fell out. He had a heart issue, um, basically fell out of his chair. And I didn't even know what was going on. Next thing, she's teaching a class just down the hallway. And a couple guys ran and got her, and she comes in, uses the AED, and it, which is, have, do you guys, you probably had those at the prison, right? What, AEDs? What is that? It's like a, a, it's a jump box for your heart. <laughs> oh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she saved an officer with that, and... um I know you got more. I just don't know all of them. Yeah, she's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but yeah, she does a lot of good things. So I like bringing her on here from time to time to make me look better because <laughs> I need. Yeah. You're doing a good job with this. Yeah. You well, your episode had like six thousand views. He's gonna beat it. You think I can so? Feel it. Yeah. This is so. You think so? This is the best story. It is. I love it. Like, but the best because it's yeah. easy. Like I was set up for success in my life. Like I. When you sit us next together, we came from the same exact place. Yeah. The same exact place. Mm -hmm. We're not that different. That's the whole point of this whole thing, right? Yeah. Like, we grew up from kindergarten through eighth grade together. Yeah. So, I mean. Did you guys ever date? No. 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 She she was a baby. Yeah, she was. You didn't date in eighth grade? No. I dated her in seventh. But she, no. she she was definitely one of my one of my best friends. I think yeah. her and Jeremy Bell were yeah. my two best friends all through elementary and middle school. Yeah. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. She's all right. We're besties. <laughs> it's funny because you're so little, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. like, we're just babies. Yeah. But we came from the same roots. Like, right. I came from the same exact Haltom City yeah. roots. I mean, my mom was a cop, so... A badass cop, by the way. Uh, Who just uh, retired. Yeah, she finally retired after 30 years. So I recorded my dad's dad's speech at her retirement for her. So my mom and his dad were partners. Okay. So that's how I became friends with Eric. Yeah. But yeah, but like the whole point of life, right, is realizing that you're not that far off from people. We, we want to bury our head in the sand and be like, oh, that would never be me. Really? Because yeah. one decision. That's what my grandfather told me. He was a cop, too. Yeah. And he said, um, when I became a police officer, this is probably the best advice he could have given me. And 
I, I think it, this is a great example of that. He said, always remember that the difference between you and the guys in prison is one bad decision. One. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely correct. And so don't ever think you're above anybody. Don't think you're better than anybody. It's mm-hmm. one decision's difference. And it's so true. We came from the same background and both of us have done good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, there should be a world of difference, but it's, it's about what kind of yeah. person you are. Well, I'm excited to see where you go from here. Um, I really hope that we can get a follow up once, you know, you go through all the rest of the court stuff. Um, Absolutely. And uh, to help, you know, you live your life. I definitely, I want to go out. I want us to go oh, have a good day. Oh, we have so town. much fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do have one question for you, though. Like, yeah. because you have a pretty big audience right now of police officers and the like. So, like, is there yeah, anything? most of mine are police. Yeah, is there anything that you didn't get to say? Or if you just had the ear of every police officer, like, what would you say? I would just say, man, that, you know, um, coming from, from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for their service. Uh, you know, uh, I love police. You know, I love law enforcement. Uh, I love first responders. So I, I guess all I would say is just, you know, be safe and, and continue, you know, doing a good job. You know, continue helping people when they need your help. And, uh, you know, I believe that every citizen, you know, the cops ain't the cops ain't the enemy, you know, and, and, and everybody needs to understand that, you know, everybody needs to understand that when something happens, it's going to be the police who save you. Mm-hmm. It can be the police who show up in, in bad situations. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love I love the police. I love, you know, forward police, Dallas police, any police, you know, any any first responder. You know, I have the utmost respect for them. You know, I admire them for their work, and I wish I'd have made better decisions in my life because then, you know, maybe I would have been one. Yeah. You had the same heart. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. We're proud of you. Thank you. No, dude, it's, I can't even, I I wish, I wish that this wasn't such a unique story. (laughs) You know, I wish that everybody that, that goes in through the system, like, this is the type of outcome. Yeah. You know, and I'm not referring to the, you know, wrongful conviction and all that stuff. I'm just the, the, the motivation and the heart to, to better yourself, even in a shitty situation. And yeah. you did that and you're continuing to do that. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Have you shared it at all? Is this the first time? Yeah, no, just- this is the first time. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people like with, uh, there's a group called Epicenter on Facebook and they, they specialize in, you know, youthful conviction and stuff. And, um, of course, they talk about my case and about my story and stuff on there. But uh, as far as having to sit down, yeah, no, this is this is the first one. Okay, well, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. the exclusive. That's <laughs> an honor because it is. your story is so good. Yeah, and shit, I I got I got it. We got a director friend. Maybe he can make some calls. We can get a movie out of this yeah. for you. That'd be nice. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I actually told her, I said, man, I said, you know, if you know any uh, good authors. Yeah. Who would like to write my story, man? You know, what are you talking about? You what? write it. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm so, I, I'm so, <laughs> so tied true. up in, I'm so tied up in living life and I just That's don't have no true. time, man. I'm just, I mean, I want to go everywhere, man. I want to go to New York. I want to uh-huh. go, I want to go everywhere. I mean, like I told Brooke, I said, man, I want to be able to go to New York and I want to be able to lay my hands on the Statue of Liberty because for me, it just has so much more meaning. It's like the representation of yeah, freedom for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I want to be able to put my hands on it, you know, and, 
she has fi- family in Iowa, so we were going to go to Iowa. I want to go to California. I got family in Arkansas. Uh, I want to go to Colorado. So there ain't nothing in Iowa. Well, she she got family there. <laughs> they, they, they 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 got uh, just they got farms. I'm just stuff. messing with. <laughs> I'm just messing. But yeah, yeah. Colorado, you'll have a good time. Yeah. You'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas, there's a lot of cool hot springs or not hot springs, but springs and stuff. Yeah. Like if you're into fishing and all that yeah. stuff, my dad goes to Arkansas quite a bit. Yeah. Stop crying, Brandy. I know, I'm sorry. You're gonna make me cry, and yeah. I am not wanting to cry right now. <laughs> so I just can't imagine. Like we live so ungratefully. Yeah, and I'm I'm honestly I'm really excited for you because like Thank I said you. I'm like pumped. Like even we'll if when we go out, you ain't paying for nothing. We're gonna take you I out. Know, I'm like, I yeah. wish I was rich so I could be like done. Yeah, yeah. New York. New York? We're gonna have yeah. this man touch the statue of Liberty yeah. today. Yeah. I'm gonna give him his own private tour. <laughs> I yeah. swear. I'm like, yeah. I need that Tony Stark money. It's awesome. Iron like, Man. Yeah. I'm just yeah. so excited for you. I, I know. I know. I know. I'm pumped, dude. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think this is a good spot to end it. Um, I will definitely have you back on if Absolutely. you're willing. Absolutely. I definitely want to do a follow up. Um, and why don't you give a shout out to your lady while we close out here, sir? All right, Brooke. I love you, baby. <laughs> there it is. Oh, appreciate it, guys. You gotta go cry. Uh,